Welcome back to another episode of Suds and Cinema. My name's Kyle. I'm Jacob. I'm Josh. This is episode number 45, and tonight we are going to be reviewing Mank and Sound of Metal, two extremely anticipated uh, movies for all three of us, finally. We got something out of 2020 that we look forward to. <laughs> so it only A couple of good things. It only took until uh, December 6th, but it happened. So, we got there. So, uh, yeah, two highly anticipated movies. We also have a recommended film that we'll be reviewing this episode, Meet the Feebles, from March. Which is uh, arguably the one I'm most excited to hear from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that one... <laughs> That might we might discuss that more longer than Mank, honestly. <laughs> so, stay uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, plus, what else we've been watching, of course, and uh, and of course our regular beer segment, which I'm thinking it's Jacob's turn, if I, if I'm not wrong. <laughs> you it would was be correct. Turn. Okay. And what I have chosen, I'm just <laughs> so I we had to pull an audible on this one. Okay, so let's just get into it because I think we're gonna have a lot to say on movies. We don't well. Actually, let's cover the elephant in the room. In our room. Nobody else knows this, but... Not literally <laughs> in our room. Nobody else can see this, but I am recording at home. Jacob and Josh are recording at Site A, uh, and that is because I definitely 100% have contracted the Rona. So... He's got the vid. <laughs> got the COVID finally. It's just a matter of time, bastard. But, uh, yeah, so we're, we're, you know, trying to stay safe. Uh, I think I've had it for at least a week now, so quarantining for another week, and then uh, we'll get back to regular recording. But in the meantime, this should sound the exact same if we did everything correctly. I mean, Kyle may sound a little different because he has the Rona, but <laughs> he's he's yeah. one of the marked ones. <laughs> yep. Okay, so, so anyway, about the beer. About the beer, Jacob, let's go ahead. Yeah, Jacob forgot to grab a beer but luckily i thought it was my week so <laughs> so it worked, it worked out perfect see twins have this kind of telepathy when one falls down the other one picks them back up yeah. <laughs> and that's what happened here yeah so, so that being um, said, oh, it was what? it was Kyle, supposed to be to... well it was supposed to be jacob's pick but let's just say audible this is going to be josh's pick is josh's pick because we can't lie and say this was jacob's pick and have him introduce the beer when really josh no. picked it out so who cares what order we go in it's a goddamn beer let's just talk about it <laughs> and kyle yes. won't be able to taste it anyway so i cannot <laughs> taste or smell anything so i'm not drinking this one i'll just be able to i'm just gonna look at the camera <laughs> just I want, drink some water and pretend i want jacob to model the can to me and i'll look up some information on it while uh while you guys drink it and talk about it Okay, so I was I actually put a lot of thought into this one, um, believe it or not. Normally, I just go into the beer store and pick whatever sounds good. But Kyle and Jacob tend to try and match the beer to a feature. So, yeah, um, this beer that I picked is called Crustfall. Um, it's a peach berry pie sour. Um, it's Imperial Berliner style vice ale with peach, blackberry, blueberry and other flavors. Um, this is a little deep cut, but Mankiewicz's father was from Berlin. So, a Berliner Weiss, originally brewed in Berlin. Deep cut, but we'll, we'll take the theme. Yeah. Um, Berliner Weiss is a um, soured beer, um, traditionally served with um, syrup. 
So it's a low ABV beer, um, and the syrups are either raspberry or a German word that I can't really pronounce, but um, I've had it. Rheingeist. Rheingeist, yeah. That means river ghost or something like that. Anyway, Berliner Weiss. The, it's like a green syrup that if I can refer or like make it sound like anything tangible, it tastes like Fruit Loops. I don't know what it's made out of, but it's called Woodruff or Waldmeister syrup. And it's um, a plant, I guess. But I don't know why, but it tasted like Fruit Loops when I had it. So that's the two uh, syrups usually usually served in a Berliner Weiss. Now this one obviously has the other flavors. Now well, usually traditionally Berliners are served with a fruited syrup. So is it always that specific one, or it can be any syrup? Usually raspberry or Woodruff are the two like hmm. standards. I made I'm, one at Grand River. I made a raspberry syrup that we poured within it. Now I'm starting to wonder if I've ever had this style before. You might have not had a true one because they're usually like 3%, 4% alcohol and they're served with this syrup. Uh, right. And it's usually green or blue or green or uh, pink. Hmm. We need to do a Sudden Cinema goes to Germany. Well, territorial that we went to, I had it f- first and they had both iterations of it. Hmm. It so sounds anyway, delicious. Yeah. Um, this is a uh, collaboration between Boulevard Brewing out of Kansas City, Missouri, and Rheingeist out of Cincinnati. Another Cincinnati beer. Um, our last episode, we also did one as well. Um, so obviously, this has Imperial Berliner style because it's outside of the range that we've represented or that we've explained before. That anything that falls above the the Brewers Guild standard is considered Imperial. Um, We'll do a little, this is a long, very long description. <laughs> so I'm going to just once skip upon the f- a time, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to skip the first paragraph. Cause that kind of just introduces the collab between the two breweries. But, um, this peach berry pie sour tastes and smells like, wait for it, a fresh baked pie with fillings of tart or of peaches and tart berries, crisp and slightly tart. The beer pours garnet red with white frothy head. The beer opens with aromas of freshly sliced peaches, followed by waves of juicy berry aroma and flavor. On the back end of each sip, there's a lingering presence of toasted pie crust, a flavor we create using both honey malt and biscuit flavor. So, it sounds, sounds really like delicious. Sweet, yeah, but delicious. And so, we're sitting at seven and a half percent. Yeah, real quick, what I've read just from some of the user ratings is that it tastes, it's pretty sweet and it tastes very like basically like punch so don't know how beer forward it's going to be but i'm sure it'll taste good oh i'm i'm sure it is so i'm excited to try this i I actually got this on like thursday because i was um super excited to try it so so you got a four pack so i do have a four pack yep i can save you one yeah i'm expecting there to be one in the beer fridge when my taste returns (laughs) in nine weeks is that how long it's supposed to take? I don't know. Brian Cranston apparently say, still hasn't had taste. And so what, from what I've it. from what I've read and what I know, if you take a zinc a zinc supplement, it helps return it quicker or or helps you get some taste back. 
I mean, I don't know exactly what the pharmacology of that would be, but I'm assuming, I mean, zinc improves your immune system, so maybe it has something to do with that. I don't know. That's just what I heard. So I'm pretty much taking zinc for the first time. Sucking down the zincs. <laughs> well, you should try like Zycam too. At least it tastes better. Hmm. Well, you can spray it in your nose too, but I don't know if you'd want to do that. <laughs> I have those. I have those soft chew rapid melt ones, and those things work a charm. Oh yeah, I, I like Zycam. I use black elderberry now though. That shit's good. Get you over your cold really quick. Okay, well, let's crack into this because I'm excited. All right. Kyle, are you drinking anything at all, or does it really matter? It, why, why would I drink anything? It's a, I'm drinking water because everything tastes like water. <laughs> so you could be drinking vodka. I could drink anything. I could drink White Claw and I would actually enjoy it for the first time. White Claws are delicious. <laughs> Don't talk bad about those, motherfuckers. They're just too no, sweet. They're not They're not I've, bad, but <laughs> I would choose I not, tried, uh, prefer not to drink them. I tried Masagave's, the founder's. Oh, really? Seltzer. The hard seltzer? Which flavor? Is it better? Yeah. Uh, I tried a variety of all the flavors. Is it better than White Claw? the best. I would say it's lighter. It doesn't have as strong of like that sweetness that hits you with White Claw. But See, I don't think White Claw tastes seltzer. sweet. Oh. Well, I don't either. This truly doesn't. Too. Honestly, I haven't had White Claw or Truly, and I've only had them each like, a, like once or twice, so I don't really remember. Mm. But... It was, I mean, it was enjoyable, but it wasn't special. I don't see, it didn't like stand out as like, oh, this is better than White Claw or Truly. It seemed like, yeah, this could compete with White Claw, Claw and Truly. Yeah, right. Okay, well, yeah, I wasn't go that ahead. impressed. I'm assuming you guys have drank it by now. I can't yeah. see. <laughs> the honey. Like, I get a lot of honey in this. It's good. <laughs> like do you not taste it's the honey is so forward to me i just taste like tart i don't know yeah, like i get that i mean too. i do have a honey finish for sure but yeah i got a lot of honey i don't yeah i think the berries i don't know if i taste peach that strongly though it's good it's really good though is it very good it's syrupy for sure Like it has like this syrup, like coating on your tongue, like this mouthfeel, like this syrupy mouthfeel. Yeah, it's good. I like it. I didn't get the I didn't get the Jacob wow though after, so it can't be. Yeah, it's not that. So, <laughs> like, it's good, but you know that's that syrupiness and the honeyness. It's kind of sweet to me. It almost reminds me of a mead, honestly. That's without, what like it's I told you. That's what they were saying is that it's a it's just a tad almost too sweet. Yeah, and I think that's where I'm landing on. I would I would not like be opposed to drinking this again though. Like I could drink this again. I would love to try it on draft, as I always say, but I think it'd be a lot better on draft. Where would you even find this on draft? <laughs> Rheingeist or fucking Boulevard. Dumbass. <laughs> yeah. <that's> my bad. <laughs> where do you um, even find Founders beer? Where do you even find uh, the I don't know, Jacob, beer at? Founders. I don't know, maybe the brewery. 
I know what you meant though. To be fair, you meant where would you find it locally on draft? Yeah, like nearby. (laughs) Yeah, I got (laughs) you. Well, nowhere because it's COVID and we're under (laughs) lockdown. Yeah, another dumb question. All right, so that is what's this thing called again? Crustfall. Crustfall. That was Crustfall. I will give. I you can find my review on Untapped after I get my taste back at the KG Project. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Um, So we got a lot of movies to talk about. What are we? We're gonna do one of our two featured reviews. Well, before we get to that, I want to bring up the whole Warner Brothers thing. Ah, okay. So we have a big news story. And this time it's actually on the cusp of breaking news. We're not uh, two months behind like we normally are. (laughs) So go ahead, Jacob. What did you want to say? So Warner Brothers is bringing all, what, 17 of their movies to streaming next year in 2021 the same day as theaters. Yes, every Warner Brothers movie that is slated for 2021 will be on HBO Max specifically, not just streaming, but yep, HBO Max. Just HBO Max. Um, the same day as they open in theaters, if theaters are open at that time, um, and they will only be they will be on HBO Max for a limited time, and then they'll be off the service, and then they'll stay in theaters after that. And you can't you can't watch them on a free trial uh, like you can with other things. So they're oh, behind. See, so they're locked. To me. They're locked behind a subscriber only uh, paywall, basically. So you have to be a full subscriber. You can't be a trial. They are only on HBO Max for a limited time, and then they go back to theaters or they stay in theaters. Um, and I think that's the only restrictions. But it is still very, you know, groundbreaking, basically. They they had to have made some big deal because with those restrictions, it's basically selling the HBO Max subscription, right? Yeah, like that's their that's their goal is to sell those subscriptions, and that's what those two things do is up the number of of subscribers. Yeah, it's crazy, and and I feel like it pushed back a lot of movies, like in terms of release schedule now because of this uh, joint with HBO Max. Like Dune was supposed to, was slated for. December and now it's not until next October. That was pushed back before. That was before this deal. Was it always October though? Yes, it was October. Yep. Oh, okay. Um, like the one thing that was the big one was I think Godzilla versus Kong because that was that was being um, bid over I think for on a couple different streaming services and a lot of places passed on it and then obviously that's Warner Brothers so they settled with when they did this deal that that became part of it. Um, but yeah, there are some there are some more that um, I can't think of them. I, they had a list of Space Jam Two is in there. Things yeah. that things I mean, that Wonder weren't, Woman was already coming to. Yeah, it, that right? was already That's exactly. The first, yeah. So I'm saying yeah. things that like weren't planned to go to HBO Max, but now are going obviously to HBO Max. That are like bigger, bigger uh, movies. But yeah, like yeah. things like in October, like Dune. I mean, obviously, we're all hoping that this will be done by October. But if they they're already saying now that, yeah, even in December, if we have a huge blockbuster movie, it's going to be on HBO Max the same day. That's just a huge hit to theaters, struggling businesses that are already struggling now. They were struggling before the pandemic. (laughs) Now they're struggling even more. And now it's like, yeah, F you like these movies people can watch in their homes if if COVID is over obviously people like us 
true film lovers want to see Dune on the big screen. We want to oh, yeah, see Godzilla and Kong on the big screen. Yeah. You know, we'll pay to go see that, but tons of people don't even care about that or, you know, they'll think of the cheapest way. They'll share their logins with people and spread it around, you know. Exactly. There's well, just I mean, so many ways to lose like, money. Outside of caring, like a lot of families just can't afford to go to movies that often, right? I mean, yeah. you have a family of four that's like, Fifty dollars, if maybe more, when you count in snacks and everything, and ticket prices, everything, and this way they can all just share one subscription and watch it as a family together in their home. Fuck, you could bring thirty people over, yeah, exactly. and all watch it on a projector and fucking yeah. charge or <laughs> charge yeah. admission to your home to watch. Well, it. just split the cost twenty dollars, thirty twenty people bring a dollar. Yeah, no, yeah, it's true. Like, I mean, I was or I was I think I was the one who brought it up before. Like, what do you think like theaters going to happen at theaters just with COVID alone? Because like the big uh, is it AMC. Yeah, they were said they had enough money to last them until like January. And then they would have to go for bankruptcy. And that's the biggest theater chain in the world in the UK and US. And now with something like this, like I think we may be seeing like the beginning of the end for theaters. Oh, we have. I mean, we've been seeing the beginning of the, the end. beginning. I think this, this is, is like, the end. Yeah, this yeah. is like in game. Just cut off the head of it, and we're just waiting on it, the body to die, basically. Yeah, waiting. The, this is the bleeding out. Yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty early to say like that. Theaters will be quote unquote dead. There's a lot of different things that like people are saying are speculating that could happen, like streaming services and production companies getting behind, getting into the business of theaters. Right. So before that wasn't allowed because they couldn't. Yeah, they couldn't monopolize it. So it wasn't allowed. But now it's like I feel like it's kind of a different ballgame right now. And we don't know what's going to happen. I agree. Like we were talking about this in our chat that like. Small town theaters are definitely, I think that's, that's just, they're done, right? Like even a town like Jackson, yeah. a city like Jackson, where yeah, it's probably sure a little we'll bit lower average income. Yeah. yeah. They just don't have the theater, a theater to, or the the attendance to sustain any kind of theater. Like they're going to be shut down. I think bigger cities will always have like some kind of theater. Like I was saying in Texas where they have like Alamo Draft House, those those locations were expanding as smaller theaters like Goodrich or AMC or smaller AMCs that didn't do enough business. Those were closing down. Alamo Draft right. House and this other this other smaller chain called Movie House, where they do the um, the food and everything. It's more of an experience. Those theaters were always expanding in bigger cities like Texas or uh, Dallas. Um, so there is a way to to keep the business alive but you have to make it an experience yeah your average day person isn't going to be able to go but guess what they have the option now to see those movies on streaming so what do you think is like better should like so ann arbor for example big uh college you know town so it has a lot of people probably more interested it's very liberal too so probably more into art stuff like that and that's why they can show movies like parasite or lighthouse and stuff and it does really well right do you think places like that are just gonna raise ticket prices because i mean they have to kind of or is that like the solution is just raising ticket prices 
because we're going to go like the people like us are going to go to those theaters, right? To see these things because theater is different. Like it's that experience. But is it now going to be a premium, like a, like literally an experience, like I'm going to amusement park or I'm doing something like. I hope so. And I also, mean, it, it is. It right? could depend on what they're playing. Like, um, like the theater that we went to to see, I don't know, like the theater that we went to see, it, uh, it follows. That was in Ann Arbor. It was a very small theater. They probably only had three screens. If they right. choose to play what is not what's not streaming so they say there's no way to see this movie like they, they're not going to waste their time playing godzilla versus kong because that's already streaming on hbo max if they want to go after a movie like parasite that's not going to be streaming but that falls into the arts category but also is like a big draw because it's bong joon ho i know it sounds pretty niche but i feel like there's also the angelica film center in dallas they would play like a ton of just art and independent films and mm-hmm. You know, that was, I don't know how that was funded or whatever, but they you could go see them at a, at a small theater. Um, right. I, I don't know. I don't know what the, what the answer is, but finding something in between that you can't stream it, but that people are going to want that, but that film lovers are going to seek out at the same time. And there probably would be higher ticket prices also because. Yeah. I mean, you have to. And I mean, I think a lot will go the way of renting too, like renting out the space for people to, you know, show their own movies and such. Right. Yeah. I, uh, Bohm and Albion was doing that. I mean, like, let's say you open that up and then, but I don't know, like private people could rent out the space. So it's not costing a lot of money for the theater itself to run. And then, those people could charge. I mean, maybe they charge admission for the people going to view that as well. I don't know. Well, but they can't. They can't charge admission for because true, then you get into because rights. You would have to get rights. Yeah, yeah. for the movie. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, there's no easy solution. Honestly, I mean, movies like the movie theaters were have been dying for a while, and I feel like this was just. They said it's a one year plan. I think this is. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, this is working really well for us. We're going to keep doing this. And then theaters, it's going to be limited to just really like art house type film and such. Maybe Oscar worthy ones, but Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like Avengers and stuff like that. Those are family movies. They made a billion dollars. But like families, I think, would be fine sitting at home watching this on their big screen. Yeah, it was it was AMC. They did a beta launch. AMC is going to start private theater rentals starting at ninety nine dollars each. You can rent a theater through the app site for up to twenty friends and family. See, I've that's I mean they're gonna have to do all these things, right? Just yeah, the the old experience. I think we're we're seeing the end right now of the old. Let's go to the movie, family, watch a movie. Drive ins are night. gonna blow up. I still think though. I mean, during this time, right. but once it gets back to normal, I think it, those fall out too. Yeah, I think, I don't know if it's, like I said, I don't know if it's the beginning of the end. I think this is the beginning of a change. Whether that change yeah, is it, the end or it's something completely different, there is a change coming to the theater business and it's it's going to happen yeah. in 2021, I would assume. Yeah. Movie theaters will exist, but not like we know today. Yeah. Yep. 
sad, sad uh, time we are living it's in. It's so sad. Yeah, I, so, I can't but believe... So, like, to play devil's right advocate, now, but, yeah. if, let's say this, um, let's say what you were saying before about um, families not being able to afford, like, not being able to afford seeing a lot of movies, right? Let's say they yeah. choose two streaming services. How much does Netflix put out every year, movies? I mean, a lot of them aren't good, but <sighs> six or seven of them, like, in the past couple years have been you know oscar contenders uh you know yeah. we just watched mank that's a netflix original let's say the other yeah, one they watch is hbo max right so they like they uh, instead of going out to uh whatever they put for the movies they allocate towards streaming services how many more movies are they able to watch now right it exposes them as long as they are choosing to watch these good films if they watch everything on the streaming service then they would everything new at least they're exposed to a lot more than they would be before. Like before they would choose two or three movies and guess what? They're all fucking Marvel and Disney movies. They're not going to, they're not getting exposed to anything artistic or new that way. They're watching the same regurgitated shit that Disney always puts out. Now they might be exposed to a great movie like Mank, a great movie like Roma, a great movie like Irishman. Yeah, that, that actually is like an interesting point. Like if Parasite would have been just streaming on Netflix and it's number one in the U.S. People would be like, "What is this?" You know, like Queen's Gambit is a good example of that. Like it's a, it's Yu-Gi-Oh with chess, right? And like, it's literally a show about chess. And that was number that's been in the top ten on Netflix for how long? Like maybe they never watched that, right? If it was something you had to pay for, but it's just there. Nobody's doing anything anyway, so they watch. Yeah, they, yeah, that's a good point. Like they're getting exposed. Because it, it doesn't cost them anything extra to do that, right? Right. And so and just saying they that, like... turn that on, yeah. Yeah, they might... Watching something outside of their comfort zone or watching these good movies, it might... It could start... Hopefully start to turn the dial back towards... Yeah. yeah, a renaissance of film. Like, cut down on some like of the, the bullshit that we stuff see. When people liked, like were, liked all this kind of stuff and were more apt to dive into that kind of shit. Yeah. Yeah, that could that's a good point too. Yeah, we could see people becoming more interested in this kind of art for film versus just making something that they know will make money. Yeah. Oh, wishful thinking, yeah. but <laughs> I mean, just a thought. It, I think it is a good thing. I there are a lot of things that are being watched now that I don't think people would have watched if they would have had to pay $12 for a ticket or something, right? Yeah, and sometimes they might not. They might be watching it like just because it's being talked about, and but they're act, and then they watch and exactly. they say, "Oh yeah, that was really good." They don't know why, or they couldn't explain why, but it's ex- but it's showing them that this is the right way. This is a good way. Like a lot of people watch The Crown just because of the story of the royal family. It was, it's yeah, a very yeah. well made show and a very well done show. And now they're being exposed to the technicalities that go into making a good quality show. So when they go back to watch some bullcrap prime cable uh cable tv show they were like oh this isn't as good as yeah the Crown. like something's off right? yeah right so they they would be able to point those things out and same goes with the movies you know if they if they're exposed to these to these well-made movies maybe when they go back right. they'll say oh well this isn't you know this isn't up to par with as, with that yeah i mean it's almost like the oscar effect right like parasite we had all watched right like right. 
And then it won an Oscar. Now everyone's like, hey, have you seen this movie? It's like, yeah, months ago when it came out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it was on, it went to Hulu. Like Hulu made sure to get it as soon as it was done with the Oscars. And it, and then everybody was watching after that, even though yeah, normally, and I was hearing who, like, yeah, nobody would have watched that before. <laughs> or nobody would yeah, have gone to see that in theaters. Yeah, I people talk about it. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I know that movie. Thank you. <laughs> but I mean, think about all the top shows like that everyone's talking about right now. You have The Crown. Queen's Gambit, um, Mandalorian, all three top notch in terms of production and technicalities. So people are trying are starting to get that itch for higher quality and higher um Well also you can think about this way. Like Netflix they aren't looking for ticket sales, right? They buy things they cause they want subscriptions, right? Right. So it's like that's guaranteed money for the companies making it. Netflix just buys it, you know, mm-hmm. there's less risk involved. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they can be more free with this kind of stuff that they want to do because they don't have to worry about it. It making money because they're just paid for it straight up. Good and bad. Yeah. But it's less you can Unless take more risk when you're not worried about how much you're going to make. If they're getting royalties off of it, then it would also make sense because if they're like, here's a base pay plus a 1% of money streaming or whatever. Yeah, because I mean, honestly, how many more people can Netflix get in America? (laughs) Like, who doesn't have own Netflix or has a password or knows somebody (laughs) who has it? Yeah, I know. Literally, (laughs) I don't think you could ask a single person who doesn't have access to Netflix. Like, I don't think you can find a person. Yeah, I always imagine like Netflix putting out putting out something new and being like, "Look, we have the Queen's Gambit," and being like, somebody being like, "Oh yeah, the Queen's Gambit." Now I'm gonna subscribe to Netflix. Yeah, this is this is like, the thing that did it. <laughs> no, it's like it's already there, and that's just content to consume. And Netflix is just making money literally off subscriptions, so they don't really care. Like, yeah, if they get new ones, that's great, but they don't. It, that's not so important, right? It's just the fact that they release something and they keep people. Right. And they keep releasing this good stuff. Like we, I mean, people are going to keep watching. People already own Netflix anyway. Right. So I don't know. It, it, I just feel like it gives less risk for the companies involved. And maybe that's why they're going to like Netflix, Hulu, Prime, all that. Cause they get the money up front or you think like Kickstarter, stuff like that. You can take more risk and maybe we get more inventive, more imagination, more of that like attitude towards movies. And yeah, that could be great. Maybe this, maybe death of theaters is like the best thing. Best thing for, for film. Cinema. Yeah. Like the inflation of ticket costs definitely deterred a lot of people from watching great. Yeah. Because it went films. to something you could just always go to, to something that is like an event that you have to like do a once a month at most. Or for once a lot a week. of people. <laughs> yeah, or a couple times a week. Yep. Well, are we ready to get into our feature views then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I digress. <laughs> no, it was a good, uh, uh, a good thing to discuss, a good thing for people to be aware of. If you if you are passionate about film, you're listening to this podcast. You better be passionate about film. Uh, yeah. You know, when things do reopen, make sure to support your theater. So it's important to do. They are going to be struggling. I think that the, maybe the last movie I ever watched in a theater here in Jackson was the hunt. 
<laughs> I, yeah. I wasn't at Sonic. Was Sonic after the hunt? No, Sonic was in. I think like, it was before. Yeah. yeah. I think the hunt, the hunt was like March. I think the hunt was yeah. one of the last for sure. It was the last movie I saw in theaters. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe ever at that theater. Well, could have been worse. We could have watched Meet the Feebles in theaters. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of me. Speaking. Yeah. Nice um, segue. All right. So let's get into our featured reviews. I asked before, what did you want to start with? Did you have an idea? I watched Mank I first and then one. I watched Sound yeah. of Metal after. Same. Me too. Okay. Let's do it in that order. <laughs> so. Perfect. Uh, we're going to start with Mank. Uh, Mank was written by Jack Fincher, directed by David Fincher. Uh, it stars Gary Oldman, Amanda Seyfried, Lily Collins, um, Charles Dance, a few others. Uh, plot synopsis reads, 1930s Hollywood is reevaluated through the eyes of scathing social critic and alcoholic screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz as he races to finish the screenplay of Citizen Kane. Let's take a listen to a clip. Make yourself to home, Mr. Mankiewicz, or shall I call you Herman? Please, call me Mank. 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 This is Herman Mankiewicz, but we're to call him Mank. Mankiewicz. Herman Mankiewicz, New York playwright and drama critic, turned humble screenwriter, Mr. Hurst. This is a business where the buyer gets nothing for his money but a memory. What he bought still belongs to the man who sold it. That's the real magic of the movies. Thunder, lightning, blood, fire, religion. Help! Someone save me! All in one film. That's director proof. That's why I always want Mank around. All right, what did you guys think of Mank? Claps. Finally. <laughs> like, I've been watching a lot of shit lately. Like, and, like, I don't mean just, like, a lot of shit, like, as a amplifier. I mean, just garbage. So, it's, uh, I, it was nice to see this. So. Wait, before you get into it, that's a great yeah. start. Did you guys end up watching? I know the answer to this. Did you end up watching Citizen Kane? No, I did not. I didn't. Okay, I just wanted to ask before. I, I think it matters. Without, but without going we'll into, into detail, does it add to it? I, I think, think it, would. it definitely does. It hundred percent does. You catch so much more in in Mank. Hmm. Well, just like that could be what my criticism of because I couldn't get it to where I want it to be. And right. That could be that could address all of that. It's not yeah. like uh critical to the plot, but you do catch like a a ton of references and just like in the dialogue, everything. There's there's so much to do with Citizen Kane that they don't outright explain that obviously this is tied to Citizen Kane. Some of it you can pick up on just through obvious things, but yeah, watching it one hundred percent helped me for sure. Oh yeah. So I bet. Um Go ahead, continue. I just wanted to ask that first. <laughs> oh, I mean, just like straight away, this felt like a love letter from one of like the best directors to film on a whole. Like that's what it felt like to me. It wasn't trying to like say I okay. One of the only problems I had with it was what I guess it was felt a little forced in what it was trying to say. Just a nitpick though, but like it felt like it was using techniques that were clearly from a different time. And I mean, obviously it was black and white, 
And I don't know if that just has like that effect on me, but this movie was pretty like it was shot so well. And it, it was another movie that the cinematography added to the movie to me. It during parts when it was slow, like not much going on. The camera was slow. There were slow pans. There was stationary. And then they would get to energetic parts with multiple people talking and they would cut, 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 move fast. And just that added so much, to so many scenes for me. It was written incredibly like I loved the writing. It was so good, so sharp, so witty and the acting, nothing to complain about. Yeah, it was just a, such a well done movie. It, it hit me over the head a lot with what it was trying to basically say. And that's what kind of detracted a little bit from me. But overall, I just thought this was like a love letter to filmmaking and it was handled by someone who knows how to make a good film. Yeah. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed this movie. Um, tech, uh, we, this movie along with our next one that we'll get into, we're definitely um, going to get some Oscar nods. Um, this <laughs> yeah, one, I mean, whether what, this be cinematography or um, film editing, something in that nature, if not both, this will be in one of the two um, shot. One of the crispest noirs I've ever seen. Like the, it was super clean looking, um, in the editing. Like you said, some of the film techniques that were used were very, were definitely an homage to the, to the that era. A lot of, of fade outs and transitions. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the my biggest gripe with it was the dialogue. It was really hard to understand. It was muffled, the sound design. Well, no, 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 not muffled. Really? Um, the dialect, I couldn't grasp onto like the as trans-Atlantic. much. transatlantic? Yeah, like I had to have subtitles. And then even reading it, you there's a lot of references to things of that time that you can't really... Relate to? Relate to. It was like, it was like watching Macbeth when we watched it. And it was that you had that um, disconnect between what you actually like they were using these words and these phrases that unless you were in that time or you have watched hundreds of these films that you could actually grasp onto the dialect that was being said. So like a lot of the time I was lost because a, the dialect, the way they were talking, the way they were structuring their sentences was different. And they threw a lot of names at you without like really, Yep, you have to know you have to know the players you would of have this to story. Know who they are? Yeah, and that's what helps knowing watching Citizen Kane also, and then knowing the the story of it will that will help with the names a lot. Right, and I think that that was one of my biggest gripes, and that's why I left some wiggle room in my reading for it to go up because I think that if I were to watch Citizen Kane, it would help out a lot, just because the characters that were discussed while they were discussing citizen kane i couldn't really you could relate because they kind of said who they were connected to but you couldn't really i couldn't grasp on to who was being talked about at most times because they threw a lot of names at you and there wasn't like ever a time you kind of had to figure out who people were and what they well, like the main example is like to. towards the end of the movie when he finishes the screenplay and he gives it out for people to read and they come back to him and they say, you know, th- 
they're they're basically talking about people in real life in the movie that you've already seen that are connected to characters in the movie, but they don't say the characters in the movie specifically or what the connection is. You have to see the movie to know that's who they're talking about. Right. So without seeing that, you're it's very hard to connect the end of the movie, especially all these characters that are that he wrote into the screenplay of Citizen Kane, people from his life that he took influence from that you just wouldn't know until you see the movie. Like, yeah, I would see that would be the yeah, hardest was, part. Yeah, that that was like very, very challenging for me to try and piece together everything that was happening. So that was my biggest gripe is I know that probably watching this, you should have seen Citizen Kane, but it's also a Netflix movie and you're going to be having the general public watch this that probably just see it, seeing tr- it's trending on Netflix and they're going to put it on and they're going to be even more lost than I was. But I and wouldn't, I wouldn't count that as a it's flaw. It's not detracting I, from yeah. it, but at, <coughs> in terms of like watching it, that's my bias coming out is um, I wish it was a little bit more tangible for the general audience. Not too much, but just geared a little bit more to uh, like a generalized way of presenting characters and I would rather have we actually seeing. I would rather have it the way it is and not have some 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 almost exposition, exposition. line come yeah. out and sound out of place just for it to be an explanation to people that don't know what's going on. I'm glad Fincher stuck to, you know, making it how he wanted and or or if it was Jack that wrote it, then have him stick to how it was written, you know, not having those lines in. Cause you would see it once you watch citizen Kane and then you see it that way. You're like, Oh, I already know that. Like don't talk down. Like a one thing, major thing that I had a problem with was the years when it shows the year, it says flashback after like, no shit. You already said knew, you established the I year. I knew you would not like that. <laughs> like as soon as I saw that, I'm like, Kyle's going to hate that. It's telling him exactly what and every, time, every time, yeah, yeah. Show the same every scene time. And then, <laughs> I know. You told us the year is uh, 1940 or 1944. 34. No, when when he's when he's uh, injured and he's writing oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, The yeah, establishing yeah. year, the year that it keeps going back to. We know what year that is. So every year before that, guess what? My it's brain knows it's a flashback. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. I literally took a note on that. <laughs> so, yeah, there's like, there's, there, uh, that's already in the movie. And if it was worse by having to explain, like, just having some off- you know, lines that sound out of place just to have some explanation. I don't want that. And when you see it, you know, when you see Citizen Kane and then you rewatch this, I think you'll you'll feel the same because it is oh, it's absolutely. a lot easier to, to grasp once you watch it. So and like I said, I gave it some wiggle room to go up. So, yeah, I mean, I read a lot of like history and everything involved with this movie, Citizen Kane, Orson Welles, uh, Mank. Like I was Wikipediaing that shit up and yeah, it's a super interesting, like it's a weird, I guess that's more into spoilers and shit, but (laughs) yeah, it was a weird dichotomy. Yeah. Um, so just, uh, uh, my general thoughts is that I, I loved it. Um, (coughs) especially seeing, you know, seeing Citizen Kane, like I said, I think that just helps a lot. And it's funny though, that, Jacob and I, I think we'll end up being close on this one. Um, what it does, interestingly, so it was why you said it sh- looks super clean is it was shot digitally and they do a lot of things with that to make it look 
uh, old and and put it in the time period. So there's. Did you see the sunspots? Yeah, there's the spots. Yeah, bef- there's there the were at specific uh, points. I'm wondering if it meant something. Cause yeah, it's always like in the upper right corner. Yeah, and um, it was at like time, like transition times almost. Yeah, it was. Yeah, um, there was the overlaid. There was the overlaid uh, film grain. Um, even the music or the the sound, the way they did the yeah, sound. Yeah, the sound was a little muffled to me. It, Love it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was filtered somehow or the way that they recorded it was done so that it sounded old timey. It looks old timey. The way the shots are, like you said, cinematography, they managed to re to use old style. So like if you're in a car, if they're in a car, they're looking straight at you. Like the film, the camera's dead set on them and they're looking straight at you. Um, just, uh, you know, a lot of things like that. Um, I was totally going to mention the car. Yeah, the, the driving car scenes, scenes like driving even scenes. The, yeah. There are the other ones too. The backgrounds that went by just looked like old. <laughs> like it was, yep. something was off, right? Like you could tell it felt like almost like it couldn't keep up with like the camera. Well, th- couldn't keep up with the motion or something. Well, it was like back in the day they used to use like a moving screen for like trees and stuff passing by. So like when they would th- show from the back and you were looking through the front windshield, it looked like like a screen was just moving R- rolling or yeah. like a, not even a screen, but like just a set was just moving and the car was stationary. And that's what it felt like. It felt like the old timey where this car was actually stationary and the surrounding or the background was moving. Yeah. So how it looked and how it sounded, I loved all of that. Uh, the acting, I loved all of the acting, of course. I mean, we have Gary Oldman here, which the only problem with my only problem with Gary Oldman is, is actually the casting. So it wasn't his performance, but I think we could have had, I think David Fincher could have had just as good of a performance out of a, a younger actor because Mank died when he was like 55 and this was going on yeah. when he was like in his mid 40s and Gary Oldman is yeah. like 70, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's he's in his 60s for sure. Yeah, he's in his late 60s for sure. If if maybe he's older. Mm-hmm. And so that was just weird and then the flashbacks are going back and it's it's him still. I mean, they might have done a little bit of de-aging but not a lot and it still is like it goes almost over 10 years. So he's in his thirties at that point and it's Gary Oldman. <laughs> it just looks, that's my only thing well, is the casting. He's only 62. Okay. 62. Dang. I thought yeah. <laughs> he actually thought he was older. <laughs> well, okay. 62. That's still, I mean, they're putting a 30 year age gap from what he's supposed to be. And like I said, they probably did a little bit of de-aging, but not a lot. That would be like my only gripe with the acting would actually just be the casting itself. Not so not the acting, the casting. Um, and then the music too, which was interesting because it was done by Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor, who are the longtime collaborators of uh, with David Fincher, former members of Nine Inch Nails, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But they did music in the style of the four, the thirties and the forties. So they don't, they didn't do their normal synth, uh, you know, or what's that, uh, that industrial music. They didn't do their yeah. normal style. They went, they even wrote original music that was in the same style, uh, which was interesting. Um, but yeah, like a lot of things that I have are pretty much just, um, nitpicks, not a lot of, of, uh, big, big problems. And uh, yeah, I just, it took a little bit for me to get into it, 
But once I was into mm-hmm. it and what I knew it was going for, I loved it. It just took a little bit to get there. And yeah. to go back on what you were saying, because this is still not spoiler, how you thought it, it was hitting you over the head with what it was trying to say. Yeah. I'm wondering what you mean by that, because my my criticism or my view on that is that I don't think it was trying to say anything. I think it was a snapshot of that time, which this these things actually happened, and that, that was the political landscape of California in that time. And now mm-hmm. if you think about California, it's the most like left liberal, liberal state yeah. there is. Yeah. It's always blue. And this is a snapshot of that time, a time when a lot of things were changing and you start to see the tide go the other way. And it's just a very interesting time to look at. And it's more of a snapshot. I don't really know what it was trying to say. So I want you to explain what you meant by that. Are we getting to like spoilers or is your explanation spoilery? (laughs) Uh, I guess not. Okay. So I mean, what you said, it was hitting you over the head with what it was trying to say. What, what do you think it was trying to say? Well, clearly that like, for me, it was a big fight, just political between right and left, right? Yes. And it's socialism versus communism versus capitalism, right? Which was obviously all going on a huge discussion after World War One and going into World War Two. So that, to me, that just made sense for the time. It wasn't like forcing it in there. It was just right. the discussions that people would have actually had. Yeah, right. But at the same time... I felt like his ideals and everything, it just like they spent a lot of time going over that. I mean, he had like multiple lines like, you know, communism is I forgot what the exact line is. Mm-hmm. Socialism where everyone shares the wealth, communism where everyone shares the, the debt. Or poverty. The poverty. The poverty. Yeah. 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 So it was like, I don't know, it felt really hard, like pushing people with dialogue and such to think more liberally, I guess, and to the left versus like just making the right look bad. Like with the guy, he's like the rich, all the rich people in a room talking about how they're basically setting up casting for who they want to be in politics and such. Obviously, I don't know what was happening during that time. I try to look into it and it even what I was looking up mank wasn't so outspoken and so like yeah he probably was liberal yeah he was probably on that side but he wasn't as like forceful with it like making bets that could lose him like thousands of dollars and such yeah um i I guess i could see that but again i don't know how mank was in person so i couldn't dispute that just from what i was reading (coughs) and such yeah yeah i think the thing that it ties back into is just his whole, his view. Well, his view with, um, now I'm drawing a blank on the businessman's name, Charles Dance's character. Crap. What was his Hold name? on. <laughs> uh, William what? Randolph Hearst. William Randolph yeah. Hearst. So that is who Citizen Kane is based on, was really William Randolph Hearst. See? And that's well known. Like I'm saying, maybe that... <laughs> If I watch Citizen Kane, it will address some of that for me. Yeah, but no, what I'm saying is that it won't address any of the political stuff. This this is something that Mank addressed for me, was that it just, to me, it made sense that he would be outspoken and that he would be talking about these things because 
I mean, look at the whole landscape of the whole country is they're in California. First off, they just the Great Depression is happening or or just happened. There's World War One. Uh, Adolf Hitler is is rally. I mean, this is he's from Germany, right? Adolf right. Hitler is rallying Nazis in Germany. There's just so many of these things happening that it, it would seem odd for them to ignore it and only be talking about making movies or something. And it just doesn't fit. Like he, he wrote that part of, of Citizen Kane as almost like a, a criticism of William Randolph Hearst because he couldn't do anything about it in real life. And he was always against William Randolph Hearst's views and the same with uh, Mayer's views. So he wrote that. Yeah. That was just something that he wrote as a as a criticism of that, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess it makes sense. It's so just, I guess I, now I know what you're saying by watching part of the story. Yeah. Now I know what you're saying by watching Citizen Kane might help that for you. Yeah. Because yeah, so Charles Dance's character is connected to Citizen Kane, and that's that's why they say you're going after Hearst. Like they they've mm. viewed his screenplay of of Citizen Kane as an attack on William Randolph Hearst. And everybody said, and don't, mean, the, don't go after him. One of the end scenes was basically that, right? Right. Yeah. Him, the end scene. Yeah. At the dinner party, you mean when he says, yeah, yeah. He, he says all of that drunken and, and that's before he writes it. That's basically the whole story of Citizen Kane is he just gives you the, that basically a plot summary right there. And that's what he ends Wasn't up going to write off of when he was calling it off of Don Quixote, right? He says, well, he says it's, he says it's a, um, well, Don Quixote was written way before that. He said, well, Cervantes, but he ends up making a movie about it. Yeah. Yeah. He's saying, he's saying this is our version of Don Quixote. So I don't know the story of Don Quixote well enough, but Citizen Kane is probably a, a slight, uh, take on that same story. Um, so yeah, he, he is basing it off of that. But once you see the movie, you'll know that you'll know exactly what characters plug into which, but all the characters at that table are basically players in the story of Citizen Kane. Hmm. Hence is why if you, if I should have watched it before, I didn't realize it was going to be that like connected. Right. I mean, if, if you liked it without seeing it, I'm sure there's a lot to get. I don't know. It's hard for me to visualize what it would have been without seeing it. Um, but yeah, I was. I mean, still great. On, well, <laughs> I actually gave it the benefit of the doubt because I hadn't seen Citizen Kane. Because I that, probably would have went lower had I. That's actually a good point. Yeah, there were some with, things that I'm like, maybe I just don't get it because I'm not as comfortable like with the source material, right? Yeah, like I gave it some passes, like this. I mean, technically, it also very much exceeded expectation, but I gave it some benefit of the doubt because I had not seen Citizen Kane, so I couldn't take I couldn't take anything away from it because that's my fault that I hadn't seen Citizen Kane. So I can't put that on the film. That's just my ignorance. Well, so I mean, I, if it, if that affects your enjoyment level, like we always say. It, I, we try to rate movies based off of a mix of enjoyment and what we think technically or what do we think of it as a film itself, right? So if it took away from your enjoyment level, there's no problem with rating it lower, watching Citizen Kane, revisiting it, or changing your rating. Well, you can't change 24 hours later. So uh, 
revisiting the movie and then changing your mind about it. I mean, you know, it doesn't have to it doesn't have to fit this this certain rating or whatever just because it's a Fincher film and it's technically very well done. If you if there's a loss a less enjoyment of it, then it is what it is. Right, right. And I probably could have gone a little bit lower, but I yeah. feel pretty good with I mean, where I settled. Yeah. The only thing that really got taken away from me was the story on a whole I wasn't like super interested in maybe, but like all of the scenes I liked. So that's the really the only big thing that took away from me. Like the story on a whole, I guess I didn't wasn't super interested in. Just everything else was so interesting. Every scene was so interesting and everything was just technically so well done that I enjoyed like every second of it. Yeah, so that was it for me too. Like it was but it was only it in the beginning, like maybe a little bit less than the first act or the first act. Everything else, like it sucked me in after that. I just had I think I just had to settle in almost and then once I was, it was everything was super interesting to me. Like yeah. the parts obviously the Citizen Kane parts, but just everything going on that snapshot of the time period. I don't know. Like yeah. Once I knew exactly. the characters and was settled into the characters more uh, that was when it when it sucked me in, and I think, I think you guys should both definitely rewatch it after re watching yeah. Citizen Kane and give it another shot. Because I think knowing all of those things, knowing all the subtleties and the the characters from that movie, and being able to plug it into this, you get more, and it's easy. It flows easier. Oh, absolutely. No, I completely agree with the fact that it would probably be a lot more enjoyable had I have seen Citizen Kane prior to watching this, but it still was a very good. Yeah. Very, without very watching good. that, I, it's an enjoyable movie. Yeah. It's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't know what that many spoilers <coughs> uh, that I have. I mean, there's not really spoilers. I mean, <laughs> unless you want to talk about like specific scenes, but there's not really specific scenes to break down. It's not, it's not that kind of movie. This is a, even for a Fincher film, which was one note that I had, because it's because it's done in the style that it that it is, it feels so much lighter than anything Fincher's I, ever that's done. Exactly, what I was thinking. I was like, it is very much not. If if you if I didn't know that this was Fincher, I would not expect this to be Fincher. Yeah, it just not doesn't feel like one of his movies. But it's all of the technical mastery is there. It's just yeah. not his tone, which is great. I mean, it's I've, definitely like yeah love him to His branch out yeah well that's why i'm saying it was like a love letter to film right like he wasn't trying to do this whole deep convoluted like saying a lot it was just like hey here's a story with here's what i can do with it i don't know it's and, essentially which i'm a sucker for is like a good biopic like yeah. it's it's a it's a biopic it's it's describing who mank was no yeah in terms of a biopic clearly don't know who mank i mean yeah i mean and just like the fighting between orson welles and mank right and i mean a lot of that stuff probably people didn't even think about or most people don't even care about right i mean writer directors usually get along really well and this was like a case when it they never talked they to didn't you, never even directed. to the, <laughs> like yeah, this movie definitely led you into where Mank did everything, right? But in real life, a lot of people probably don't believe that and believe Orson Welles was in really in charge of it all. He was director, right, and that he was responsible for most of it. 
Well, they did share credit on writing, and and Orson did do he did do the refinements like that. You know, Mank had sent uh, he sent him the screenplay, and then Orson trimmed it or whatever. So he does get writing credit, and obviously as a director, he gets a ton of credit. And I'll talk about Citizen Kane in a while. Um, and he does deserve a lot of credit. Trust me, a lot of credit. But what's interesting is that Mank wouldn't have gotten credit for this if he follow, if he just agreed to his contract. And everybody was right. telling him, this is the best thing you've ever written. And he fought for that. He thought that was more important to break the contract and get credit for this, for writing this amazing screenplay than anything. That was, he put that above all else. Right. And it probably extended his career by... Well, until he died. <laughs> no, he died shortly he was after. Movies through... Well, right? I meant like, yeah, but you know, I'm just saying his his um, name. Like, had he not been a Citizen Kane, he would have been known for. Oh, right, because he said he was washed up at that time, and he, he said, "I have been washed up." Yeah, because he wrote other things like Wizard of Oz, but he was like, um, what they they called him something. At, they didn't call him the writer. They called him something else during that time. So like, yeah, I'm super interested to find out about the Wizard of Oz stuff because they bring it up a couple times, and he's like, "Oh, this movie again." And I didn't know that he had a writing credit on that. They it's it's classified as something else. It doesn't say that he's the writer. It's like, I'll look it up. Hold on, but it's this Citizen Kane is what made like that's why Mank is known in the film world it wasn't because of the wizard of oz because clearly wizard of oz wasn't something that he really even cared about right wizard of oz has him as contributing writer uncredited Contri- yeah see contributing writer <laughs> so uh, but i mean it's interesting to it would be interesting to know what he what his involvement was and why that's important to him or not important to him because it's brought up in the movie remember and he he kind of has like this um begrudging feeling towards it like uh that movie again like he almost because it did so well well yeah but like what well yeah what's the history with it you know like or did he did he take um did he sign a contract to not take credit for that movie and then it blew up yeah maybe that could have been it too right like he didn't take credit once it did well and he didn't get any credit for it so this that's why he put his foot down for citizen kane like i'm the writer yeah right i don't know i want to get recognized for it um any any spoilers that you want to get into i mean like i said i don't think there is any um i'm i'm good (coughs) no honestly I, i just the number one thing that was great in this was I, like a lot of my notes are just the one liners and shit that was written. Cause this was one of the, uh, it was written so well. I, I just loved the snappiness of the writing and the characterization it gave to each person. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think it was phenomenal. Yeah. There was, there was a lot of great writing. Um, the, the relationship between him and his wife, I liked a lot. Um, oh, yeah. I liked the, I liked Amanda Seyfried, um yeah just how he his a lot of interactions that he you know just the relationships with him and different people that's what i took it as i was just excited to see him in any situation 
and how that were the back and forth between that. That's what I enjoyed most. Like you could so take the story out, but each scene was just so good. You're William Randolph Hearst then. Remember what he says in the movie? Yeah, he doesn't like what you he, write. He, doesn't, he likes the way you talk. Yeah, he's like, I like to have yeah. you around. I like to have you around, Mank. He's like, yeah, he likes to have you around because <laughs> of the way you talk. <laughs> yeah, like literally, just no filter, just straight out, and everything he says just shows like that intelligence of why someone is such a good writer. Yeah, and it's it's funny too because they they talk and they have dialogue like. You know how in the movies they they do that? It's very snappy, quick, witty, back and forth. And obviously this is portraying them not in a movie but in real life, but they're still talking that way. Are they replicating – are they doing the same thing where they're replicating the style of an old movie or was that just how they actually talked all the time? I don't – from what I read, he was like that. He would say what he meant. He burned a lot of bridges and got a lot of people mad by his mouth. Like he had, he knew a lot of people, but he was never afraid to just hurt their feelings. So it seemed at least to fit the character. Now, was he that witty? I don't, probably not. I don't know if anybody could be that way in real life. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. No, (laughs) I know what you're saying, but what I'm saying is the way, okay. So we know how he said that they skinned it black and white. They skinned it. Uh, They, they, they did the sound to match an old movie. I'm saying, was the dialogue and how they were talking to match an old movie or was that how people do you think people talk that way in the 30s and 40s i mean i think a lot of it was how they talked. just i mean at least in the vernacular of it yeah uh, right like that it sounds fancy and shit to us today but i think yeah they probably did talk like that but as witty and snappy for everything that they go back and forth i doubt it but the actual like words and phrases probably i don't know though (laughs) yeah at least movie wise if anything maybe not day to day but yeah if you go back to movies like you were saying definitely that's how old movies were done right yeah exactly yeah and they and they show that they the way that it's done is in that style so it fits you know, it fits what they were obviously going for of of replicating right. an old film, an old an old film that is about an old film. <laughs> and right. Oscars, Oscars yeah. love movies about movies, and uh, especially famous movies like Citizen Kane. I think this, I think if I was to make predictions, even if I hated this movie, if I was to make Oscar predictions and I was to put money on it, I would put a lot of money on Mank in quite a quite a few different categories, just because of the fact that there's not a lot out this year and it's a it's an yeah. old movie about a movie about an old movie. I'm like <laughs> by a famous director. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't see. Yeah. This year is so weak, honestly, overall. So yeah, I don't know what else is, what else is scheduled. Mean, that's going to, that would compete. I think the only thing competing right now is maybe the trial of the Chicago seven. Oh, this is, yeah, this, I think this I mean, would crush that. Picture. Tenant might get fucking no. in for best picture. It, I don't. I mean, it won't win. No. No, I'm not saying it'll win, but oh, it'll be yeah, up. obviously it's gonna be a nod. Yeah. No, we're talking like, about something that could actually t- go face for best picture. Could go face off with Mank right now. I think there's three, and one we're gonna talk about now. <laughs> you think that will but, be nominated for best picture? I mean, what else it would be? I mean, I think I don't know. It I'm just be. thinking, but. Okay, definitely Trial of Chicago Fire 
or fire (laughs) Chicago seven Chicago fire is the soccer team trial of Chicago seven definitely will be in that running. And this mink will definitely be in that running other than those two tenant will be in. There is one that there's one that we're not going to have access to either that I think, um, might have a shot. Nomad land. That's getting a lot of hype. And I don't know if Minari is going to be this year or next year, but that would be another one. Those are the two that are off the top of my head. I know we're uh, festival darlings. Yeah, it's gonna be pretty. It's gonna be pretty weak this year. Mank will be up for cinematography and editing. editing. <laughs> yeah, that's my guess. I think it'll I mean, be get more. I, I don't know what actor but too. It might be best picture. Yeah, Gold, Oldman's gonna get. Definitely a nod for best actor. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, anything else to say on Mank? Nope. No, watch it. It's on Netflix. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like, watch, on. Sit- watch Citizen Kane first. That's on HBO Max. And then watch Mank. <laughs> and we know you're going to get HBO Max because you're going to get all these Warner Brother movies. So might as well yeah. start yeah, it right you, now. You want to watch Go Wonder watch Woman, so watch Citizen Kane first. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What are we, what are we saying on Mank out of five stars? I gave it a four and a half. I gave it a four star. I also gave it a 4.5. Okay, so next we are going to get into Sound of Metal. Uh, Sound of Metal is written by Darius Martyr, uh, Derek C. in France, and Abraham Martyr. I'm assuming they're brothers. Directed by Darius Martyr. It stars Riz Ahmed, Olivia Cook, and Paul Racy. Uh, plot synopsis reads a heavy metal drummer's life is thrown into freefall when he begins to lose his hearing let's take a listen to a clip Noisy. Search. Throat. Ditch. Fish. Talk. Ring. Brum. Germ. Life. Team. Lid. Lid. All right. What did you guys think of Sound of Metal? Woo. Another good movie. Like, this has been a strong features right here. So that's. I'll start with that. Like, mm-hmm. this movie was nothing what I expected. Not at all. I probably because I didn't look anything up about it or I guess or watch anything about it because I thought this was literally going to be about music or something. (laughs) It's not. And yeah, it was shot extremely well again. And a lot of the the sound like design and mixing everything. Wow. 
another movie like i said ask your nad this will definitely be up for sound yeah it Mm -hmm. it will win sound there's no way it will not i don't know like for me Uh, i would lock that in right now i don't know you think it's gonna win yeah i mean it should i'd lock it in but i would lock it in because like it just does so many new things like things i have never seen and the way that it puts me in the shoes of the person like experiencing what's happening insane insane like this is such an important movie just in general and i feel like this is a movie that you could gain more from being a person who's afflicted with the same thing right like even if you want to call it an affliction right Mm -hmm. with the way it ends almost it's like a superpower and yeah it's an important movie it is acted extremely well it's again written well this one is again where the story kind of what brought it down a little bit for me, just because not really much happens, I guess. Oof! But everything else just is so well done. I it's hard to say without going into I guess what it would be a spoiler for me because I didn't read anything about this, but I can't really say much more. It's just it's great. I, it was such a pleasure to watch this movie for the most part. Yeah. So, um, I thought this movie was an absolute masterpiece. Um, I do in terms of, um, Jacob, you saying that it means a lot or is a very important movie. This is one of the only, if not the only film I know where you could learn more being deaf because there was a lot of scenes where they were signing and we didn't know what That's they were what saying. I'm saying. Like, I think this could be, I didn't know if that's a spoiler or not. Like, if we want to go to that. That's not spoiling. Because I didn't know what this was about at all. <laughs> so I have like a question. Did me, Josh, did you yeah. watch this with uh, subtitles? I, no. Okay, so when they were signing, did subtitles ever appear on the screen when they were signing? Yes, sometimes. Okay, okay. okay. I just wanted to make sure that they also appeared for you because I watched it with subtitles and sometimes when they were signing, they would do what they were saying. Okay. I just wanted to make sure (laughs) I figured that I figured, but that's what I was saying. Like you could watch this. Like, I don't know if there's maybe this is just my lack of knowledge, but has there ever been a movie like this for deaf people that they can watch it and almost get more out of it? Like I was saying, there was a lot. Arguably they get more out of it than, like we do. That's what I was saying. Like if they had subtitles on, they the whole like there was scenes where the entire scene was sign language. Yeah, and I didn't know what was going on, but you could kind of. But I I don't know the the way that this is done, where you are almost in the point of view of the main character, but it's third person all the time, because yeah. you're ex- you're going through everything that he has to go through and. He, this movie gave me so much anxiety mm-hmm. and it evokes such emotion because it really makes you think of like, I'm like, holy shit. Like, you know, what if that happens? And Kyle and I have been super stoked for this. I, I don't know if Jacob was in the same boat, but Kyle and I started talking about this as soon as um, we'd learned about it, just because me and Kyle are very familiar with um, Darius Martyr, who wrote a place beyond the pines, which is one of our um, favorite underground i guess you could say movie um but derek sia france is also a, a, an amazing writer so this was just a like those two together because i believe and derek we love metal france 
directed Place Beyond the Pines, correct? Yes, he did. He was a director. So this is like one of the this is the second time they have teamed up, and both movies have been spectacular. But, um, I mean, there's I don't know what you can really. I'm sure there's something you could downplay or downgrade in this movie, but for me, it was. I mean, there's not too many things I could. Um, knock it, knock it for. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was a f- amazing, fantastic movie. Yeah, so I also loved this movie. Um, I think it is just, again, one of those. It's not trying to do too much, but it's really just showing. It's this character study that is showing, um, basically the 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 super old the the uh, that saying. You don't know what you got till it's gone right? Everybody says it, everybody says it, but not a lot of people have gone through it or not a lot of people have really experienced that. And sure, you could talk about relationships or whatever, but we're talking about one of your literal five senses, one of the things that makes you a human being, right? And especially to something that's so important as to a musician, right? This is part of his life and he loses that and he has to come to grips with that. And what is that, you know, what does that mean for him as a person? And he's also an addict. So now he's thinking that's just a whole other layer is like, without this, like I've been four years sober. I'm ready to throw that away because I don't have hearing like that's just another level to it. And that's, that's what Derek C in France does best is he tells human stories. You guys need to watch. Um... <laughs> I'm going to get it right. Um, I know this much is true sometime because uh, again, it's the same thing. It's, it's just a, a very human story about the human condition and, and what it means to be human and things like that. That's what he does best. And uh, I think this movie is exactly that to a T it's not, there's not a lot going on. Some people yeah. might think it's really boring, um, but they're not watching it for the right reasons then. Right. And I think even the way it starts, like, First off, I think the intro was awesome, but when it gets to the angle where it's just showing him with, I mean, like this was a guy who, like you said, had, was clean for four years. So he wasn't, had a problem before, but he got, uh, that was one of my favorite lines too. If we're going to, if we're smiling, like getting into like actual lines, it was like, how long have you been sober for? He's like four years. And then later, it's like, how long have you been with her for? He's like, four years. And I'm just like, look at that. Like, look how much you gain from that one, like that, mm-hmm. right? It gives you it's that like, Oh, you became sober when he met her, right? So it shows how important she is in that line. But they also introduced that from the beginning, like the whole first part, like of the movie when he's they dance every morning or he makes breakfast, he wakes up early. Like it does sets up all these things, right? And then that line just turns it from like, okay, like nobody would do that to, oh, that's why he's doing it. Right. And you also learn that she was also doing it for the same reason. Yeah, exactly. Like how much they meant to each other, not just emotionally. Well, like like that's each other, but we have to get into that. That's a big spoiler, but, um, There was like that. I feel like that's a part Kyle would love, right? Like 
it's not directly saying these things like you just, but yeah, it is explaining so much in such like such a little amount mm-hmm. of like time and dialogue. Right. Yeah. It written extremely well. Yeah. These guys, like, like I said, watch Jacob, you still need to watch place beyond the pines. First he off, still has never Fuck seen it and it's fucking <laughs> fucked up, honestly. And then I know this much is true is, a little bit more i mean it's a show so they get they get a little bit deeper into things but they don't have as much they don't have to work with as much subtlety but i mean it's the same thing with with that show just so much about the characters and and the depth and everything and like this the performances too like the in a movie like this you would have i mean there is like one moment of kind of not even overacting but just like you know that explosion of anger and in this movie you would think there'd be like a lot of those moments or there would be a lot of moments where they would have a chance to like uh overact or they could overact but they don't like riz ahmed does such it a good job of forced. yeah, yeah. D- of just being never uh, real almost like like very much feeling like a real character and a real person and same with olivia cook and that's what that's what really worked and then a lot of the other people were either unknowns or like first-time actors so there wasn't a lot of, you know, people, character actors to take take away from the main performances. It was just you were focused on really Riz Ahmed for the majority of the movie, because Olivia Cook leaves, yeah, yeah, through that one part. Anyway, is, this is like one of his first like lead roles too, isn't it, Riz? Other than uh, Mogul Mowgli or whatever. Um, was he the lead in that though? I'm trying to think yeah. about he was a Mowgli. He was the he was a British Pakistani rapper. I guess that's this year though. Oh, I Mogul Mowgli. Okay, I've never seen that. I don't know. <laughs> but this was before technically. But yeah, this I, was probably finished before and, that. Um, yeah, I loved him in Nightcrawler, so it's good to see him get a get a good lead role. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, he was the lead in. Um, he was the lead in the night of, which was like a big deal when it came out. It was the and HBO. Like, it was the oh, HBO the, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a really big uh, at the time. That was a big show, and he was the lead in that. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as a movie goes, yeah, I think this will, this should uh, put him up there in the upper echelon as far as casting and and get him in more lead roles. He's been in a lot um, of supporting stuff and been in a lot of movies, but. We need to see him as a lead more. Yep, and this is direct evidence of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I wonder. So, is he a drummer? And does he know? No, sign he language? definitely had. Just Did he learn both of those? He, for sure, he yeah, learned okay. how to drum and sign because he is the type of actor he goes all in on his roles. And yeah, he learned to drum and sign for this movie. Because it it didn't look neither of those looked unpracticed. Yeah, and that's oh, he was he was jamming. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. Because <laughs> he makes sure to get those things right. Yeah, it looked right to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty it's a pretty contained story. Um, but within that, there are things, you know, uh, elements, plot elements that you're kind of wondering if it will or won't happen. Um, we've all said our general mm-hmm. thoughts. So if we want to get into spoilers now, we could talk freely about it those certain plot elements and things like that. I don't think there's too much to spoil or, no, or too much else yeah. to get into. It's, it's a very hard movie to talk about, especially because we already said like 
when I finished looking, when I finished watching the movie, I looked at my notes. I didn't have anything written, which is just one of those yeah, things that it's like, like many yeah. notes at all. I have not even half a page because yeah. you write down. Yeah, you write down the things that stick out as bad, and then usually when I'm finished watching a movie, I'll be able to jot some notes down on things that I liked. Um, but we kind of got right into recording. I like I just finished watching it actually. So, um, yeah, it's just it's one of those things that I don't have any technically even wrong with it and uh the reason it looks so good too i forgot to mention is that it's shot on 35 millimeter and it definitely shows it looks oh, amazing yeah. film yeah, thousand percent definitely. yep yeah it's got that it's got the graininess that comes along with derek c in france but obviously darius martyr kind of stole some of that or not stole but well yeah you know it's just he as, yeah i mean he's he makes sure to shoot on film there's only select Directors that make sure to shoot on film and won't sacrifice any, you know, won't sacrifice any vision for anything else. And obviously, Martyr is one of those one of those guys as well. Um, okay, so yeah, in terms of spoilers, is there anything spoiler that you want to get into? Uh, I mean, I guess like the weakest part for me was the story overall. Like I get, it was important. I loved, you know, most of it, but overall, like you were saying, it was contained, like really not that much happened. And it, that's when it started getting a little bit weaker for me. Cause like the love and everything aspect was great. And then like when it got to like later on, when he like started moving on from the deaf community and like going to Paris and all that, that is when it started like getting, I don't know, not as interesting for me, I guess. Like I loved seeing his growth and everything. And that felt like, I don't know, like not much more was happening until we got to the end when he like popped out his ocular, you know, Mm -hmm. implant thing. Yeah. Ocular. He has eye implants. (laughs) Cochlear. 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 His cochlear uh, implants and like it went to silence. That was amazing. That part. That's his arc. Yeah. So just that, that felt a little long when he got to Paris and like he met her again and the dad was talking and all that stuff. No, see (laughs) a little long to me. No, that is, that is like one of the most important scenes. I think, I think if anything, which I know exactly what you're saying, it is a two-hour movie. It could have been maybe a little shorter, but here's my problem with trimming it: is what do you trim? Because I feel like everything was almost the the right length. Like, what if we trim off parts of like him in, interacting with the deaf community and the kids? Then you kind of lose that the power of his transformation and his arc. Like, where do you trim from? Almost. I, That's what I was thinking. Like every. But but I'm also I'm also agreeing with I'm also agreeing with Jacob that it felt just a little long. Like there is yeah, somewhere like some of the scenes were a little too drawn out. There's some something the that could have been trimmed. A slow something. Yeah. There's something that could have been trimmed. I don't know what it is, but I'm saying I'm agreeing that there's something in there. Trim the fat a little bit. It could have been just a little bit better paced. That would be like one of my tiniest nitpicks. Um, but if we want to get into the ending, which we're dancing around. He goes to Paris <clears throat> in the beginning. Also, it's it's important to mention that we see him and her interacting in bed. She used to cut her arms and now she has like a she has like a tick where she scratches and that might that might be indicating that she wants to cut, I think. 
or she's like scratching yeah. at her arm like like it's a nervous tick there's something wrong when she's doing that um because he goes back to paris and he sees her in this different setting he talks to her dad he he says she's doing great and then he says oh no more scratching like it's visible to him that she has not been doing that and then at the end mm. when they are together for one day she starts scratching her arm again right so so that's when he knows it's him that's causing that. yeah and he says he knows he has to leave so there was some one of you guys said that it's important to know how much they are they are to each other when that's why yeah i said that yep. yeah like she is very important to him to stay clean but it might not be the other way around yeah I, that's when he noticed that she was more doing more good for him than he was doing for her right and she helped him so much that he was like i understand well like now i understand he said, you know, you saved my life. And then she said it back, but it almost felt with like a, like a slight bit of hesitancy. Like she felt like, it, or it felt like she, she knows she did more for him than he did for her. No, I don't know if she knows that he, she did more for him than he did for her. But I think that her response was just reactionary like and it felt like it was she's like yeah well you saved me too and he's like what uh, what did he keep saying i it's okay forgive you it's okay i don't yeah. blame you like it's okay it's i get it like i and she, she i don't think she grasped it completely but i think that she knows what needs to happen and that like that scene was pretty awesome i mean it just it just showed the gravity of like what he fought he did all this did sold everything that he wanted or that he loved to be with her and finds out after all of this that he's not the best for her and his entire quest his entire arc was built around getting back to her with you know with fixing his hearing and fixing himself because he lost his hearing and he gets there and that's not his true ending his it's not his true meaning his true meaning is to find the silentness to find peace and tranquility in what he is now and that's a deaf person like well, his, I, his I, main fucking yeah. thing was was learn to be deaf. That was his first assignment. Well, I mean, I think it goes, but yeah, back to that where they're like, we don't see being deaf as something to fix. And then like he was getting that. And then when he saw her successful, he like reverted back to his old self. Right. And he's like, Oh, I'll get this. Everything will be normal. I can like rock again. like do all this. And then he, th that's when that guy was disappointed in him. Right. Because he's like, well, you don't need to fix something. I think you basically need to leave. Like, yeah. So, do you think it was? <clears throat> do you think it was a little too on the nose, though? So, think about yeah. think about what happens. He uh, does all this stuff to get his girlfriend back and get get his old life back, right? And then he finally does, and then he realizes that that's not what he or realizes that that's not what he needs, or they don't need each other, or whatever. And he does the same thing. He does all this stuff to get his hearing back. He gets his hearing back, and his hearing isn't what he expected it to be. It's it's basically an imitation of what the sound is. Right. And so then he realizes, and then at the end, he takes it right. off. He realizes, oh, I don't need this, and I take it off. Like it's almost the same exact thing paralleled with his relationship and with his hearing. Like 
I don't know. That's those two things like on they're happening like in simultaneous at the same exact time they yeah. happen. That was like, I don't know, a little too specific, like on the nose and just, yeah. I don't know. Like again, I know it's a nitpick, but yeah, that was it the, for me overall. Like just the story alone, a lot of things like happen in a way that was like, it felt good and I liked it. But at the same time, like you were saying, it's like, a little bit on the nose and overall and again overall i can see why people would find a movie like this boring i don't but i can <laughs> see that yeah <laughs> for sure and and that's ultimately what left me where where i was but overall is fantastic i just like the um the angle where it it shows that he is a guy that wants to constantly fix everything. Yeah. He's always like, even this little yeah. subtle thing of like the eaves troughs. He's like, yeah, fixing the eaves he's like, troughs. you don't need he's to like, fix that. You don't need to fix that. He's like, well, it was whatever. He's like, you don't need to fix that the whole time. He, he's trying to fix things and it's, it's like, good sometimes, the way it, and you don't need to fix it. And that's, that's why I love the arc of like him finding out that because I think that it's him, the relationship and him hearing are separated. His relationship wasn't him finding out or what was I saying? Um, oh, his relationship wasn't something that he need that he felt like he needed to fix. His relationship was his concrete. That wasn't something that he wanted to fix. So when he broke that off, that was big for him. And then, but his hearing is something that he wanted to fix and he fixed it. And then that ends up being his, his change is he fixed something and, and it, it wasn't, wasn't better. The, what, it wasn't what he wanted. And I think that that was the overall th- theme that the guy was trying to stress to him is you can't like, fix you don't need to, fi- you don't need to fix everything. Sometimes things that are broken are perfectly broken. Like they're meant to be broken. Yeah. So I think that that him finding that stillness and him fixing it, actually do fixing it and it not being fixed versus his relationship is he didn't want to fix it. And then he he ended it and that was actually fixing it or fixing her. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, they might have been hard headed if you or um, hit you on the head if you looked at them parallelly, in parallels, in parallels. But I think that (laughs) I think that they could also be looked at in, in, in two different ways of him ending that to start something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's allowing her to. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, it's a movie I would definitely watch again. Oh, I would love to. I want to show this movie to other people. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, And you need to watch Place Beyond the Pines now. It also made me want to learn sign language. Didn't I give you that, Jacob? Or have I given that to you yet? No, but it's on like something. Oh, yeah. It's on my voodoo. Duh. I don't have to give it to you. It's on voodoo. Okay. Well, maybe once you're finished with your 2020 watches, you can... I only, hey, I'm down to my last 10. 10 more. It's pretty good. You still got a whole month. I know. After I'm, this week, I, I, dude, I I'm going to do like two. Dude, I don't have, I don't have work all week. I think I'm going to finish this week. 
<laughs> How many do you have left? Because you're behind me, right? Um, I think I only have... Let me check real quick. Probably 11 or 12. Um, I'll get back to it. Uh, what, anything else to say on Sound of Metal? No, I mean, not really. It's it's going to be nominated for a lot of things also. <laughs> okay. Well, let's rate Sound of Metal then out of five stars. Give it another four and a half. <laughs> I gave it a perfect five star. I also gave it a four point five. Loved it. Um, could we go up get potentially. Our, our differences this time, yeah. I know. <laughs> could go up potentially, but it's not. Yeah, I didn't have that feeling. You know, like I said, a, a mix of enjoyment and film. Technically, this is something that is probably technically close to perfection, but that enjoyment I didn't have as much as other five star films. So, correct. Me too. I, I think that this... There's something that kept it from there for me. Yeah. I don't... I mean, this just felt like... Like, the way that it was able to make you feel... Like, for me, I guess, me feel. Right, yeah. I was sitting on the edge of my... I don't like, disagree with a five-star either. Like, yeah. ex- the anxiety that it gives you of, like, a, a rock drummer suddenly losing his hearing the next day. And he wakes up and his hearing's gone. And he's... Like what? What do you do? <laughs> you have to learn a whole new everything. Life. You have to I mean, everything. we basically were experiencing that with him, right? And we don't know how old he is, so could been he could be in his thirties, you know, hearing his whole life, and now it's gone, and you experience that with him. Yeah, yeah. It's an important movie. Mm-hmm. Very important. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that there's finally a movie that makes you feel something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm the fucking, I'm the drama lover. I'm the, I know uh, you're the, I, romance fucking feel good. Movie. You true. didn't watch the next movie we're talking about. Oh no, <laughs> uh, yeah. The next movie made me feel something. Um, okay. So we, uh, we rated sound of metal. That's it for our featured reviews. Uh, we are going to move on to our next segment. Technically, our next well, technically segment. we have a featured review. Well, it's a recommendation. Okay. It is featured. I'm saying it's the next segment, Jacob. Let me finish my goddamn <laughs> sentence. Our next segment is recommended viewings. Um, you know, we love to get recommended viewings from our viewers. If you have a recommended viewing, send us an email. And so we were recommended Meet the Feebles. So uh, Peter, uh, Peter Jackson's first movie? No, no, no. Because no. he, he had a bad taste before that. Second movie? Okay, so Meet the Feebles is written by Fran Walsh, Stephen Sinclair, Dan- uh, Danny the. Mueller, Danny Mullerin, and Peter Jackson, uh, directed by Peter Jackson, and it stars a bunch of people that I don't know, and I guess we can go over a couple. Danny Mullerin, Stuart Devaney, Mark Hadlow, Brian Sargent. I mean, yeah, it's a lot of voice ca- uh, acting. Uh, maybe they did some of the puppetry. I'm not sure. Um, so, yeah, the story behind this is, let's see, this is, I think you said it was a second. Let me s- just verify that. It's like 88, 89. 89. Uh, yep. Second film, uh, After Bad Taste, so 1989. And the plot synopsis on this one reads, multiple animals and insects experience the sleazier side of show business while working on a variety show. So what did you guys think of Meet the Feebles? So I made a post about this on our Instagram, Says in Cinema Podcast. 
Shit. And describing how confused I w- was with like trying to come up with how I felt about this movie. And I it's so even now when I'm like trying to think about it, it's hard. I didn't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But it's not like I'm mad that I had seen it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I I get it. I get what it was doing, but it was way too much in literally every aspect. This was like this is coming from someone I watched. I mean, I watched Salo, right? Like Salo and Hundred Days of Sodom, or like, and that's like one of the most disgusting movies ever made, right? And when I and I could couldn't even rate that movie, but at least when I watched that movie, technically great, w- amazing, like acting, amazing, and it was disgusting with a purpose, right? Like it was trying to be, and it was showing you how disgusting fascism was. Their director literally was assassinated for making that movie, so like it made sense. It was disgusting. I never want to watch it again. I didn't enjoy watching it, but I understood it. This is up there in the top five of the most disgusting, vile movies I have ever seen. But, like, its message wasn't near that, right? Like, I get that it was trying to show the bad side of show business, that it was trying to show you, like, literally, that's it can be disgusting. It can do... There's even... It's like a take on the Muppets, right? Like, it's this happy blah, blah, blah thing that's for kids and families, but really behind the scenes, maybe there's all this darkness and vileness and it's really just all these people who don't give a fuck about anything putting out this shit for money. But it was too much. Um, I think technically this was a well done movie. Uh, I thought cinematography was pretty good. There was a lot of nice shots I've seen. I thought the puppetry and stuff was fantastic, especially considering this was a $750,000 budget. Like, it was well done. Acting was good for what was needed. But it was hard to watch. I'm sure you guys felt similar in that aspect, and that's exactly what Martin wanted when he recommended this movie. It's just insane to me to th- see that this is the guy who made Lord of the Rings, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I can see like he had that talent. He knew what he wanted and it was directed, I would say, well. But wow, wow, he is fucked up. I literally disagree with everything that you just said. <laughs> Go ahead. I tried I, so well to I be thought, eloquent. I thought it talking. was direct. I thought it was directed horribly. Really? A, what the hell was going on even? There was 99 different fucking storylines all at once. The variety show felt like a variety show, but it in the worst way possible. <laughs> um, the writing, which is horrible, was actually written by the same lady that wrote Lord of the Rings, helped... Peter Jackson with Lord of the Rings. Fran Walsh helped him. Isn't that isn't that his wife, Jacob? I think it is his wife, actually. I mm, so that's probably why they collaborated she's, she's on everything. She's worked with him a lot. Okay, I th- I think it might be, but, but I don't know. I mean, this is you like you couldn't even watch the the way it was filmed was horrible. Like 
even when you watch it like straight from the source, like it's hard to find. It was on Tubi or whatever. Yeah, Brian Walsh. But spouse. Even like the the full resolution that you could get from this movie. Right, it's three sixty. Three hundred sixty p. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was, like it was filmed one forty p. Well, it was filmed like probably it wasn't on film, so there's no way or there's no like version to get. Uh, there's no yeah you upscale version. Better. Yeah, it's probably that's yeah. probably as good as it's gonna get. So, like, yes, that's that's it looks bad, but I think due to just the budget and everything, that's something that that's like the one thing that I can forgive almost is just how it looks because they can't do anything else about it. It's what was available. Right, like if I told, I mean, if I gave you, if I gave you a digital camera and the top resolution was 360p, <laughs> yeah. and I said make a movie, that's all you had to use. You had to do it. You would make a movie with it. It wouldn't look good, but you had to do it. So, I mean, I feel like there's better 80s movies that have had a worse budget. I mean, maybe, mm, but they might have had something know. better to shoot on. They might have had better equipment. Yeah. Like the not not everything with the budget goes towards how it looks. Right. Should. I mean, I mean, yeah, I agree. I'm agreeing with you, but did. I'm just saying, like, look if they, at all the effects they did. <laughs> we don't know the in story this movie with puppets and everything. Like, there's yeah. a lot that went into this. We don't know the story like, of that. Took most of the money. <laughs> we don't know what Probably. what the restraints were. The story of how the it came to look like that. It just does look like that. So, like effects wise, I don't think you could do like better really today. Effects wise. <laughs> I mean, I like, based what? if you did the exact same movie, like a puppet movie, like using only puppets, no CG, like on a terrible camera, like I don't know if you can really elevate it. You could elevate this, but in every <laughs> imaginable way. Um, yeah, Jacob, obviously, I hated. Do you know what came out I've, three years earlier? Hmm. Labyrinth. Exactly. <laughs> Mostly puppets. Yeah, but what is the budget for a labyrinth? I don't know. Let's find anyway, out. Dark Crystal was probably before this too. Or the the never ending story was probably before this uh, as well. Uh twenty five million. <laughs> yeah, twenty five million versus seven hundred fifty thousand. <laughs> I'm okay, whatever. I'm just saying. A little bit different. <laughs> anyway. You said it couldn't look better, but they can't. They could not for better. the money and everything. Okay, involved. for the money, whatever. Yeah. Well, you gotta think inflation today. That's you're looking at two and a half million dollars and an upgrade. You know, only five million. <laughs> what about uh, Dave made a maze? You're talking three thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. Paranormal Activity. It was like ten thousand to film. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, this I I checked the time of this movie probably every ten to fifteen minutes, <laughs> hoping it was closer to the end. More than ten to fifteen minutes was, and time is constant, and I learned that through this movie. Fifteen <laughs> minutes is fifteen minutes, and God, I just could not wait. And ninety three minutes is. I'm also I'm also in the process of filing a lawsuit against Martin for cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> Because I should not have to watch this movie for thirty three cents. He would love nothing more than hear that. Actually, thing. less than that. We you only make seventy five cents, so you have to divide that by three. Okay, there yeah. we go. If you had to, if you ever had met Martin, he, like he will have such glee hearing you say that. I am I am filing a lawsuit against him, against cruel and unusual punishment, as well as time lost. 
One of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Okay. Uh, I also hated Meet the Feebles. Uh, I pretty much <laughs> disagree with Jacob as well. I, lo- I looked at, after I was finished watching it, of course, I looked at some of the reviews just to see what the general consensus was. And it seems like one of those movies that a lot of people have like this nostalgia for because they watched it when they were young. And they thought it was cool when they were young because it was playing against type against Muppets type right so the Muppets was huge in the 80s and it was a very family friendly show it was a funny show and this was just saying oh let's just have Muppets and puppets but being nasty and dirty and that's the joke there is there's no thing clever or funny about it it's just being (laughs) nasty and that's it it's so pointless like it feels like they were just playing into that type and everybody that liked it and has nostalgia for it, it only likes it because of that. It's They don't like it because it's technically good or or there's actual clever writing or there's anything good going on. It's just because it was playing against type and they think that was cool, like some kind of edgy, edgy take on the Muppets. And even the puppetry, like I, that's what I was watching. Like a lot of the other things I was saying is like, oh yeah, the puppetry is great. Like I guess watching movies and seeing the Muppets and watching movies like Labyrinth and uh, Dark Crystal and stuff like that, you see what good puppetry is versus this. I just didn't feel like it was that good. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. It's not like I watch or know a a lot about puppetry, but there's so many things that I I could notice was off about it. It just looked off. Like, so like I remember specifically like a scene where they light a cigar and like he's puffing it and stuff. Like, how do you do that? The <laughs> yeah i guess but like so many times like where they're talking too like their mouth doesn't even try to match up with what they're saying <laughs> no the edit the sound editing was obviously after like post and it wasn't even close to what they were supposed to be like their mouths were moving when they weren't talking <laughs> uh just a lot of things like that uh a lot like yeah technically I guess shots I wasn't that bad, but it looked so bad. They did like a lot of, uh, there was like some interesting POV stuff when it was the fly, you know, um, just camera tricks and stuff like that. But that was probably easy to do because it was so low budget and all the cameras were probably super small because this is, like I said, not high quality at all. The, the, the look of it is so... Probably the worst quality I've ever watched in a movie. Yeah, I mean it's it's YouTube quality is what it is, but yeah, they even had it on Tubi. I started on Tubi and it was no different. No, I mean it, that's I watched on Tubi too. I'm saying it's like watching a movie on YouTube where you can only get it up oh, to 480, yeah, yeah. and this is less than 480. It was 360 on my on Tubi. Because I was like YouTube, it was like a fan restored, so I was like, oh maybe they like yeah, that's adjusted what I it a little bit. It wasn't no, any better. It was just yeah. as bad, if not worse. Yeah, so. I don't know what there there is redeeming about this. I think I chuckled once. Um, there was like a couple maybe scenes in there that were okay, but for the most part, just not my cup of tea. And I don't know. I don't know why. This is this is liked a by anybody. Cult classic type movie where it's gonna hit with like certain people. But like, that goes back to what I was saying is I think it o- is literally only for nostalgia. I don't think there's anything. I don't think people can discover this now and uh, like it. If they do, uh, there's something yeah. wrong with them or they're lying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or they're like, oh, it's Peter Jackson. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. I don't ever want to watch this. No. Again. I will not ever watch this again. <laughs> 
but I'm not going to watch it. Not because of all like the story, technical, any of that. It's just because it was disgusting. Yeah. But so let's like, like think about the jokes, right? Like just all of like the sexual jokes and all of the drugs and stuff like that. Like there, none of that is done like in a clever way. And it's such, here's the worst thing about the movie it bounces all over the fucking place because yeah, like I there's said, so many I don't characters. Know what the fuck was there's so many characters and there's no plot to this movie. Like at all. They just keep bouncing back from scene to scene. It's like little vignettes. And there's no through line at all. And I was so just done with that after the first, I don't know, twenty minutes maybe. Like I was it was amusing at first and then I was like, Oh, this is the whole movie. Okay, I'm done now. And I after that I fell way off the deep end. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there was. <laughs> I'm like not gonna a, like defend it. Yeah, there was like a new person coming in. There was the 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 angle of the fucking rabbit being having an STD. STD yep. Then you have the fucking porno being filmed, and then you have fucking this rat that's doing all these the other drugs. Things. Then you have the knife thrower needs his fucking, drugs. <laughs> yeah, the knife. Dr- then you have the elephant that has a baby. A illegitimate baby and then you have piggy like what the like i was tr- i legitimately tried to watch this movie for a 10 minute span without tr- trying to look away and i could not watch this movie for 10 minutes straight i had to like look away or get up and grab a water or i was just like trying to kill time hoping this movie would end <laughs> Yeah, that's not unfair. Thank you for giving us money, Martin, but fuck you. (laughs) I also have our next recommendation. Not for Martin. Well, announce it. I don't think we have anything else to say other than ratings. I mean, I mean, do you want to get into more specifics? I mean, Jacob has should have something else to say. I mean, he... He's the only one that said anything good about it, so I think that's... He should have some good at. things. Also, I don't want to be the letterbox police, but I will if I have to. Jacob's rating changed. It might have been within 24 hours, but you you did have this higher. 24 hours. Yeah, but you did yeah, have it higher. Really so high. I, defend, I, I want you to defend your initial three-star rating. How could you give this a three-star? Yeah, please. Um, please. Because I'm, I'm a fucked up individual. <laughs> but you didn't watch Sallow and like. Yeah, but it was different because that was disgusting. That was humans and the, everything that was happening like was like, yeah, it's like, yeah, fascism is terrible. I already think that. And it was just like showing you how disgusting fascism is and everything. And I'm like, yeah, cool. This was more fun than that. Right. It was like disgusting and vile but at the same time it was just like funny to see like puppets and stuff which you would never see in this kind of context ever like is there another movie other i don't chucky i don't know what you want to like happy times nothing like the happy time murders this movie yeah tried to do the exact same thing and it bombed completely and it bombed for a reason so there's not a lot of movies that do this and I literally do think it was like shot pretty well. There was some cool scenes uh, and the way they were done. I'm like, wow, that would have been like not that easy to do. And then there's a lot of like little things like 
They couldn't even afford blanks. Like they couldn't find blanks for this movie. That chain gun that she was using at the end was real bullets. They were actually blowing up all of those puppets and stuff with real bullets. So they had to do that in one take. Like, because they couldn't find blanks. So like, it's an endearing almost in that aspect that someone who could go from these humble beginnings and do something like Lord of the Rings after this. But that doesn't go so, into like my rating of this film. Yeah, I respect I respect that more. I respect him more. I respect actually Lord of the Rings more because knowing that he made this piece of shit and then going on to make one <laughs> of the greatest movies of all time, that makes Lord of the Rings better. That doesn't make this better. This movie was $750,000 budget and its box office was 80,000. It lost almost $700,000. I, I did see that, but then the box office disqualifier for that is New Zealand. So I don't know if that, I don't know if that no got a release. No, America it didn't, it didn't fucking go want box it. office. It like could have, yeah, it could have, it could have yeah. gotten released other, other places, but yeah, it, it made all its money from like later releases. Yeah. Like clearly this guy had enough money from these movies he made before to buy the rights to Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Well, Oof. I'm definitely not looking forward to watching Bad Taste ever. I mean, I've heard. I, I think Bad Taste would actually be. <laughs> I think Bad Taste would be more endearing because I think it's actually lower effects wise, and it has just real people in it, and it's it would be more endearing to see that side of Peter Jackson than like this feels. Well, he's this, in Bad Taste. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I, I feel like this is the that sophomore effort where it's not like obviously he didn't have a lot of money to make this but he was still trying to actually make a movie whereas like bad taste would probably be more like a student film whereas this kind of came across as a movie and as a movie it does everything that i think a film should have it does that wrong so that's where like i don't disagree but at the same time i was like i'm glad that i had seen this movie I'm glad I saw it so I can tell other people not to watch it. Oh, I would never recommend this movie. (laughs) But at the same time, like I enjoyed it more than I should have. And I can respect that. Like I can see that he was talented in making this movie. Even if it's I didn't necessarily enjoy it. I struggled to see that. Yeah, Yeah. you can struggle. It's fine. That's a stretch. Again, I that's where I landed though. Like, if it anything was done the, by someone who had more talent, and if clearly he has more talent, we know that now. The only thing that saves this from the lowest score is the fact that it was done. That what happens in the movie was done on the budget. That's the only thing that I. That's the only parallel I see between Lord of the Rings because the Lord of the Rings was a surprisingly low budget for what you see. That's the same with this movie. This is a low budget versus what you see i mean it doesn't look good but it still comes across as probably more than seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, and it's the same in lord of the rings what you see looks oh, like mean, way higher budget lord than of the rings movies for like what 280 million yeah exactly the first one was so, 93 million yeah that's what i'm like, saying though is no one can compete <laughs> in terms of filmmaking aspects the only parallels i see between this and lord of the rings is the fact that he can stretch a budget yeah and I, I feel like he was just having fun. 
Oh yeah, for sure. But it was not fun for me. And he's fucked up. Yeah, I mean, he get obviously gets he injected some of that. I mean, Lord of the Rings is a universe that calls for that, but just some of that gross out stuff that he was able to. How much did you say the budget was for Lord of the Rings? I think it was like two hundred eighty or some million or two eighty one. Look at that <laughs> for all three for all of three. them. All three. One Batman movie is like more than that. The Avengers, Avengers was the Avengers 100% was, yeah. more than that. 300 and some million, yeah. And that was one. And Return of the King made a billion dollars also. And it was 94 million. That's it. Yeah. Budget. Crazy. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. 1.142 billion. Anything else to say on uh, Meet the Feebles? God no! Don't watch. It. Well then, let's rate well, it. Horrible. Let's rate it out. Let's rate it out of five stars. <laughs> I gave it an average two and a half. Boo! I, I don't know how you can justify this being an average movie. I gave it a half a star, seven out of a hundred. I gave it a one star. Like I said, I was amused. I was amused in the first star. fifteen to twenty minutes, and then I realized what it was, and that took away from it. But for a little bit, I was amused i chuckled once and i can see him stretching the budget which i respect those are the only things that save it sounds like at least a two-star oh no shot (laughs) no way jacob the invisible man the invisible man was a 1.5 this is not better than the invisible man yeah but that's just because you rated that too low oh no that's perfectly that's exactly where that movie is that's exactly where that movie (laughs) needs to be (laughs) um okay are we ready to get into what else we have been watching yeah. Or do you want to introduce the uh, next recommended film real quick? Uh, I do. Oh, yeah, have I introduced that. that. Is this from Eric? No, it's from Trevor. Oh. God, I'm, I'm even more afraid. <laughs> he was the one who recommended Dave made, his, made a maze. Oh, oh God, okay. kill me. Turn me up. I'm vetoing this next movie. No shot, bucko. Well, what is it, Jacob? All right. It is The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then Bigfoot. Okay, I think this is actually already on my watch list. So <laughs> this is the oh, Sam, uh, Sam, what's his last name? Nope, Robert no, it's by Robert. Oh, yeah. Sam Elliott's in it. Yeah, Sam Elliott. Yeah. Oh, this looks great. Yeah. This movie is not supposed to be that terrible. Though no, it does have. This a is a movie that looks like it knows <laughs> what it is. <laughs> it has a worse average rating than Meet the People, so. Yeah, but like I said, people don't know. They don't know what they're talking about when they they're basing everything off nostalgia. This movie came out in 2018. There is no nostalgia for it yet. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, okay, so I guess we'll be talking about the man who killed Hitler and then Bigfoot in the future. Maybe not next episode. We'll see how things go, uh, but very soon, probably before the end of the year, right? Oh, yeah. All right. Definitely. All right, so let's get into what else we have been watching. Who wants to go first? I've got, I think, two things. And I mean, we watched the uh, same movie, right? Well, let's have let's actually have Josh start because he watched a movie that we watched last episode, yep. so we can start with that. That's a good, that's a good place yeah. to start. Yeah, so I watched Happiest Season. Yay. Which you guys both watched already and talked about last episode, so I don't have to go over too much, but you guys were both um, pretty head on. I I think I agree with 
Jacob a little bit more in terms of what the movie actually was. I think it was, it, or it had a significant meaning to it, or a little bit more of a meaning to it. I know, Kyle, you did agree with that, but you also said that there needed to be a little bit more of a backstory for it to actually resonate a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, it's a it's going to be a movie that a lot of people enjoy. There was nothing terrible about it, but there was nothing, like, Stiller. great about it. I, I also love Schitt's Creek, and I love Daniel Levy. So oh, him, being, be, yeah. him being Daniel Levy in this movie like was pretty pretty awesome like i think he's hilarious um so yeah there was nothing really i mean it's it's a it's what you thought it was you you turn it on you know what it's gonna be and it was exactly and it what does I it well be. and it does it exactly how you thought it would be and i actually thought that some of the the relationships were a little bit better than i thought they'd be um, I like the introduction of Aubrey Plaza's character, who was what's her whatever the the one main character's name was Harper, her first girlfriend, Harper's ex. Yeah, Harper's first girlfriend. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So I did like that angle a little bit. It was a kind of a cool wrinkle of her like being a lesbian before, but then hiding it with Connor, and then revealing her true self later with. Kristen Stewart, whatever. Yeah, I actually like that backstory probably the most out of everything that was like her, what she did to her, kind of like revealing, like, uh, yeah, like just who she, like she's done it before and she's almost doing the same thing now. But then that also kind of comes back to like she doesn't really get her just desserts, which it's, it's, wouldn't be a happy ending. It wouldn't be the movie that it's supposed to be, but. Yeah. Yeah, it's called the happiest season, not the unhappiest season. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. It's still a rom com happy yeah. ending. Yeah, I for mean, sure. You you watch but it. But it for, does it well. You turn it on for a reason. You're not you're not looking for it to blow you away technically. It's a movie that you throw on and if you if you have to go to the bathroom, you're not pausing it. <laughs> no. You're, yeah. yeah. You, know, you're, you don't care if you miss something. No. There's no one you really care about. There's but you know, I did like, I thought the, uh, I laughed actually more times than I thought I would, um, between Daniel Levy character and the, um, odd duckling in the family. I thought she was, Oh yeah. What's her name? Um, Jane, Jane. Jane. Yeah. I thought she was, she was pretty funny. That whole running joke was great. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So I uh, I don't have anything mad, but I'm supportive, (laughs) but I'm with her. I'm standing next to her. I'm supporting them or whatever. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was funny. Um, so yeah, I landed at a, I landed at a three star. All right. Yep. Sounds like, yeah, that was what Jacob gave it and just a little yeah. bit above me. So, yep. You're right. Head on exactly hit the nail on the head. Okay. Uh, you want to talk about shit house, Jacob? Yeah. Shit show. Oh yeah. Shit house. All right. <laughs> so, like shit show. This is one that like actually a couple of days after I watched it, I'm like, eh, I think I maybe went a little heavy on it, but I didn't break the rules and kept my score. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Break the rules again. Yeah. Okay. The same week. This is a good like uh, segue into this movie because you were talking about like, that's a very, you know, it's a good, well done rom-com. It doesn't surprise you. Mm -hmm. This is a rom-com that I do think did things that were different, but it was also a rom-com. Like I think as far as rom-coms go, this is pretty much the pinnacle of what you can get for me. I don't know, but 
it, it was acted well, shot very well, and it did some interesting things with that concept. And especially, I mean, we all like went to college, right? So there are some aspects in that while it didn't affect me like the to the degree that it did to the character and the story. It's something that I think it was cool to see. And it definitely was an effect that I seen for other people. And I thought it was kind of a unique perspective on going to college and mm-hmm. talking about that. So, <laughs> and I also thought it was pretty funny. Like I laughed a bit, like and nothing that was like laugh out loud, like belly laugh type thing, but I thought it was pretty funny. It went along at a good clip. It wasn't trying to be too unrealistic. It wasn't trying to break any of the tropes, really, of rom-coms. But everything it did was basically, I feel like, the best you could do in that genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so almost have the, a lot of the same thoughts, of course. I thought this was, like, so grounded and realistic, uh, like... yeah just the way that college is portrayed, right? It's, it's not like you see the movie shit house, you see drinking on the poster. Like people could go into this movie expecting something that they are not going to get. And it portrays college in a real light. Um, like it's not overwritten either. It it never feels written like, except for some of the conversations that they have, like, especially like their night out. Juno wittiness. Like it's like, um, yeah the before series where they have this one long conversation basically ongoing the whole time uh that's like half the movie basically and then the fallout from that is the rest of the movie um but yeah i just really liked his character and what he showed because i actually connected i feel like a lot with him uh i am relatively more inverted and or introverted not inverted introverted i'm also inverted (laughs) i'm a big introvert yeah Yeah, so at college like i feel like i didn't throw myself into situations a lot that probably would have made the experience better you know or or especially my first like year versus how he graduate like graduated over time right right yeah that's what happened to me yeah so i thought that was just super relatable i thought it felt authentic and yeah i'm surprised that this was his first movie especially writing and directing being so young um, and acting and acting in it yeah all of those things and it didn't feel like a student film or anything like that it was very well no. done it was very well made you could tell he was working within a budget um a lot of the shots were very uh stationary so the camera would be set up beforehand. It, he probably set it up and made sure everything looked good. And he had exactly how the scene was going to play out within that frame. So a lot of the people were moving within the frame instead of the uh, the frame moving to with the people. A lot of shots mm-hmm. were like stationary and they would be moving around in the frame. Um, right. Which was just an interesting uh, angle, I guess. What was the budget? Do you know? Uh, I'm not sure. I check. Probably about seven hundred fifty thousand. <laughs> um, fifteen thousand dollars. Damn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I knew it was it was small, but uh, yeah, that yeah. is very yeah, micro give, budget. Give basically. some. Uh, give us a movie nowadays seven hundred fifty thousand dollars and see see how bad the movie is. <laughs> oh wait, <laughs> you only need fifteen thousand to make a good movie. There you go. 
Um, yeah, but it wasn't trying to do what that was. Doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. But budget aside, I mean, you cannot tell. It doesn't feel low budget either. Like it just no, feels like a because a lot of the actors they do super well. Like I mean, they're no name people that they just come across natural and they're so nuanced. Yeah, they yeah. all do. They all play their parts perfectly well. How yeah. old is this kid? Um, I College think he's age? only twenty. <laughs> yeah. Let me see. Yeah. I would say mid low twenties. I don't know. I can't he doesn't even have a Wikipedia page, so <laughs> Damn. He 22. was twenty two. Twenty two. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so like he has some talent. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and uh just his, uh, the relationship his... too is a little bit different than most films. I feel like they I feel like that was the part that was a little, like I said, there's, it doesn't feel overwritten, but it feels, there is a very, um, they're I guess, cliche, yeah, genre-y yeah. part to that's it. Where, that's why it wasn't like elevating even more for me, because again, at the end of the day, they were yeah. making a specific, he was making a specific genre movie. Well, even, and, and never, even for as well, as good as everything is, it's, it's also, like I'm saying that it looks really good in all these things, but it looks good for fifteen thousand dollars. It looks amazing for a first movie, but you can still tell that those things are are a little bit present. It's, it feels indie, right? It feels like a high budget indie movie, but it at the end of the day feels like an indie movie. To yeah, me. I mean, I still yeah. think it's. I still think even for what it is, it was it was really good. I think I I probably could have gone up if anything. I know you said you were heavy on it, but I think my I'm gonna give it a heavy three point five teetering on a four yeah, i i was really teetering on the edge there just not necessarily because of it itself but then i watch like mank and i watch sound and metal right after that and i'm like holy shit <laughs> like these are better than that movie but like i could have argued almost for that score for one like mank for example but then i'm like no this movie that movie forces me to put those higher just because I, they are better but yeah. as far as like a like indie rom-com movie can go, I don't know if you can do much better. I think yeah. your 15 I think your score justifies its means by it being a $15,000 movie. Yeah, like I, like I didn't change my score. I didn't change it within 24 hours. Like it deserves that score, but like I don't know. I had I did have to fight with myself. I thought about it for a while. Like we said a four star isn't a four star objectively you have yeah. other factors that it's just like rom-com is probably one of my least favorite genres and i enjoyed watching this movie quite a bit so that means a lot yeah right yeah i mean it's a it's a it's a little bit mix of i feel like a mix of genres it's it's one thing that i like was just the writing and the dialogue like i think they they even had this one they had a conversation of course that also that i connected with a lot of uh when they're burying the turtle and then they have this their own existential crisis and i don't know i just i love when they do when yeah all of those little moments were so good yeah i mean like and while like i necessarily didn't get homesick like he did in the movie and when i went off i was kind of yay i'm finally out right Whereas he was more like he loved his family. He yeah, didn't want to yeah. leave. 
And that led to a lot of moments that were so fucking like relatable at the same time. Because when you, you get to hard times or like you don't know anybody or something, you do kind of want to lean back on that structure that you had. Right. So you you have some trouble and you don't know what to do. You call your mom or your dad. Right. Like that's what you do as a college student, especially as an like an introvert where like I, I didn't want to phys- like it. it's energy for me to go out and talk to people, to go out and meet people like once I become friends with them, then it's easy. Yeah. But like that initial drain on myself is what's difficult. And like it showed that so well. And like I could relate to that so well that it was like, yeah, it was so well done in that aspect. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I already said I gave it a heavy 3.5. Did you say what you ended up with? I don't think I did, but I gave it a four. It's teetering, but I mean, I can't deny that it's worth that. Yeah. Um, probably won't make it to the top 10 this year, but it's, uh, I would still definitely recommend it. Oh yeah. One, this is a movie too, that I feel like is an easy recommendation for most people. Like, I feel like the average person, like mostly anybody could enjoy this movie. It's funny, well-written. Yeah. And it's Uh, under a certain, uh, under a certain age. Yeah. Like. I don't know. Like, I don't know if like an older generation will connect as much with it. But, no. Um, yeah. yeah. A certain generation. But definitely. And, like uh, and younger. Definitely age, will. A little bit younger. Yeah. And loves rom-coms. Like this is like a, amazing for that. Yeah. Uh, okay. I only have one more thing. How many more do you have? I think, I think I also only have one more. All right. Well, uh, Josh, do you have anything else? Oh, Josh does have something else. Let's ha- let's go back to Josh. I do have something else. Yeah, I know. I saw. So, I was going to go on a little bit of a Hoyt spree, <laughs> but um, I only get, was able to squeeze in one. I tried getting her in, but... Ooh, save that for next week. <laughs> I know. Um, so, that being said, I watched Ad Astra. Um, James... Gray's movie, not James Mangold, as Kyle commonly confuses. Yep, they're both um, named James. <laughs> they both make pretty good <laughs> movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Ed Astra, uh, it's my favorite cinematographer, Hoyt Van Hoytema. Um, watch this after after I don't know, I don't know what made me watch it. I think Interstellar. I, Interstellar, talking about Hoyt in the in the. Christopher Nolan premium probably triggered it, but um, finally got around to watching it. Um, I, I I enjoyed this movie a lot. Some issues with it, um, but I don't think that it. I think that the, my biggest complaint is the pacing, and I think that that was intentional, but it still doesn't take away from the fact that some of the entertainment was taken out of it because of the pacing. Um, Mm -hmm. I also think that some of the, uh, the special effects were in question at times. Um, it felt (laughs) like, I feel like sometimes there was scenes where, um, 2001 did just as well as Ed Astra did in terms of like astronauts falling through space. It's because 2001 is amazing. Corny. Well, 
technically yes um but the the score was pretty awesome uh definitely influenced by Hans Zimmer from Interstellar um Hoy obviously did the same cinematography as Interstellar so his his fingerprints were all over this movie and I I loved it in terms of technically like sound was great um cinematography was amazing um another big complaint is um his motivation i feel like his motivations were kind of flawed i guess i don't know there was just something about his him being so stoic that like kind of detracted from the movie like this felt like more of a nolan film than interstellar did because there was like very much a lack of emotion. It was like, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's supposed to, I think the weakest part is, is, uh, the ending. And I feel like it, that ending is supposed to explain kind of that. And it doesn't, I don't think it comes together in the end. That was like my biggest complaint. Yeah. It doesn't wrap up very well. And like that just all starts from the motivation of like, yeah, him kind of being forced to do this. And then he decides that he wants to do it, but it doesn't feel powerful enough for him to do it. Like, it just doesn't... I just don't think him wanting to see his father again is, like, a big enough motivation to go or to do what he did and to just... I don't know. The the end didn't justify the means, I guess. And that was... It was big. just to drive the story. Yeah, it just I don't know. There was just something missing from it. But I do love the I did love the the journey that he had to go on. It was like 79 days by himself in a zero gravity spaceship. So you can imagine the the mental and physical toll going through space 79 days with zero gravity. So he has a machine that has to stimulate his muscles because he's yeah. not using them. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty crazy to think about and the anxiety that it gives and the the loneliness that is presented in this movie is top notch. Like you really feel for Brad Pitt's character to a certain extent. Like you the whole movie is based on him being so stoic and being so level-headed like his his heartbeat never reaches a certain bpm he's never peaked over 80 and the whole movie kind of like portrays him as this very straightforward no emotion type of dude but they kind of try to like create this sort of arc that he is emotional but it doesn't really get there and you don't really care whether he is or not. And I don't know. That's one of my main biggest gripes. I think the best thing that was portrayed was loneliness and the, the inner workings of what he had to go through to make it to this, um, space station out in Neptune. But, um, mm-hmm. special effects were pretty, pretty crazy. And just, the way that Neptune was shown was pretty awesome. And there was some cool, really cool scenes, but um, 
overall. It was it was a really good movie, very good movie, but um, it fell short in things that I feel like it could have exceeded, and I don't know if that was writing or directing. I think there was... I was reading about this. I think there was something that happened in post-production that changed this movie a little bit, and that was kind of what people were most upset about. But hmm. yeah. I don't know about any of that, but I'll have to be interested to find out. I landed at a um, four-star, but a very light, light four-star. Cool. Uh, Jacob? Fringe three and a half. Do you want to go? Yeah. So I watched, I wanted to get, this year I've watched more movies than I probably have ever watched, like, <laughs> in a year. <laughs> Definitely a calendar year. Gotta be. Yeah. I would say that is pretty uh, accurate. And so I decided to get some more international films in there. Because I haven't watched that many this year, and usually that's mostly what I feel like I watch is a lot of international films. So I watched a Netflix show, show, film, called Hashtag Alive. Oh, yeah, I almost watched it. And it is directed by Il Cho, I'm guessing. I think this might be like one of their... Yeah, it's their only movie. <laughs> and it's a, I'll just, let, okay. You must survive. As a grisly virus rampages a city, a lone man stays locked inside his apartment, digitally cut off from seeking help and, a des- and desperate to find a way out. So I felt like this was like a fitting movie to watch during, you know, <laughs> coronavirus. <laughs> because... Uh, this is how I kind of felt like during that first quarantine, especially when nothing was open. I couldn't go anywhere. I lived alone and and just replaced that with like zombies. And you got this. And wow, was this such a good zombie movie? Like it had all everything you would want, like so many tense scenes that like an intensity that has felt that I didn't feel with like a lot of zombie films I've seen. And I've seen a lot. And it also interjects like this kind of like romance into it, but also adds in like comedy and the, but it's also very dark. It just does like a lot of things very, and they're all done competently. Well, is there a lot to gain from this? No. Do they survive things that they shouldn't? Yeah. Like there's a lot of that cheesiness and campiness that you get with, with the genre but it's not something that necessarily detracts from experience. Like this is such an easy recommendation for me, from me. Like it has everything you want to be enjoyable. And I think if this was in English that it would be way bigger than it is, but because it's Korean, it doesn't get that. But acting always a little bit more difficult to tell when it's in another language, but seemed very like, it felt really good to me. Special effects were great. The zombies were scary. And I don't have a lot to complain about, really. Let me see what I have in my notes here. Yeah. 
Yeah, it had a some cool filming scenes. He had a drone that he used. It's just like it does a different perspective. Like, what would you do if instead of coronavirus, there was this zombie virus that spread around? You're in your house and you just have to survive. You have to survive with whatever food you happen to have at the time, whatever water you had at the time. And then you lose internet and like phone access. Like, what do you do? It like has that framed in this typical zombie intensity type movie. And it's just super enjoyable. Like, I think you guys should both watch this movie. Actually, well, you also like Train to Busan. You say that's a good zombie movie. Okay. So Kyle <laughs> may hate this movie. <laughs> Because Train to Busan is a good zombie movie. Train to Busan is universally known as a good zombie movie. It is a good zombie Mm. movie. And I, but I will say, Kyle, I think you will like this more than Train to Busan. It doesn't, it's much more contained and special effects wise, it's better. Like Train to Busan had the cool, like just tons of zombies flopping over each other and stuff. Mm -hmm. Whereas this, looks like it it must be just real people literally flapping over each other there's a lot of them but they're all like actors in makeup hmm and yeah i don't have too many negatives to say it doesn't do anything really special but it just does everything that it's meaning to do really well yeah there are the cheesiness and everything that ticks away and like hurts it in that way and which is why I ultimately led and landed where I did but I mean it's just a good movie it's a fun movie to watch and if you want to and it's not too long it's like an hour and a half if you want to throw on something it has everything you could want and to just enjoy a movie just for the entertainment's sake versus like trying to get more out of it mm mm-hmm. mhm Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I I'll put it on the list. Giving it a three and a half, and it's a 2020 movie. You want to get an easy watch out of the way? Can't recommend this enough. Yeah, if it's on Netflix, and yeah, might as well. Too. Yeah, so everybody, who, literally everybody who listens to this now and forever, you have Netflix. So go ahead and watch this movie if you like horror movies at all, especially if you like zombie movies. Because here you go. The best zombie movie I've seen in a while. Cool. Okay. Uh, I will go last as this is the big boy. Uh, I finally watched Citizen Kane as I alluded to before reviewing Mank. Um, and it is what known in Mank or said in Mank as the best thing he's ever written. And now I see why. Uh, it has... A reputation. Also, I want to read this too. This so this is from Darius Martyr. Um, this is when he asked was asked about his movie being shot on thirty five millimeter, and they asked how did he make it happen. Uh, he says because I fought for this movie, and no one is going to tell me no. I basically hijacked the whole goddamn set, and that's the deal because no one wants to let you do anything in this business, and it's made up of absolutely cowardly people. And if you don't know what you want, and you are willing to fight for it, you're not going to get it. That's all there is to it. 
And uh, that resonated, that fits perfectly with Citizen Kane because that's exactly what Orson Welles did. He was given uh, complete creative control over Citizen Kane, which is insane because it was his first uh, directorial movie, directorial debut. And a lot of the actors weren't even film actors either. They were, a lot of them were theater actors from his, um, his Broadway uh, company from New York. And taking all that into account, I mean, not even taking that into account, if you don't even know that, you would still think it's amazing. Like for what it does at the time, it is amazing. So it's, it's the way that it's staged is super interesting like it starts off with basically like a newsreel like news from the world and it feels like super exposition-y and you're like what the hell is going on and then you find out that it's these reporters learning about uh um kane's death and uh and they have to get this story out about him but it's not enough just to say that he died you have to find out who he was as a person right so they go on to figure out what mm -hmm. rosebud means that's just the basic plot so that the way that they tell the story, like interviewing these different people and not even interviewing, like going to them, then it goes to a flashback uh, earlier time. Like it's it's told in all these uh, vignettes and time, different time piece, uh, time settings. And it for what it does, like uh, to, to visually represent that without having to do like what Mank does and say flashback, you know, it does it through just <laughs> visuals. And the way that they they have some of the makeup is like very, very slightly noticeable, but they actually do aging and de-aging makeup on these people. And it looks just as good as anything today. Like it's they're the same actors and you're shocked to see them in a completely different time period and they look just as good. It's crazy what they do. Um, so that is amazing. The way that it's shot, like they do so many interesting things like most of the time you won't see ceilings like in buildings because that's where the boom mics are and the lights. And they actually show like an office with a huge ceiling and it's just, but it's like a fake ceiling and the, and the microphones are above that. And they just do so many cool effects basically without having to use CGI. And they do all these different camera tricks to get effects out of it. Uh, there's one part where like they her um, the girl is opening an opera and they have the camera from the audience's perspective and it shows them like backstage getting ready for it but you can see what's happening and then it shows the curtain rising but it doesn't show the curtain it shows the shade it shows the shade from the curtain rising so you can see everything them scurrying to get ready for the play and then them getting off off of stage and just her being there and then when it rises it's just the light the reflection of the light or the shadow, I should say, rising. And then you see that same thing from the opposite angle where there actually is a curtain there now. <laughs> like, <laughs> like so many different things. What they had to, like he literally, and that was, all these things had never been done before. So like he literally had to invent these things, right? Yeah, he was doing like these things where like, uh, I don't know if it wasn't wasn't invented before, but he wanted to have this camera do one long shot going from outside through a window into the kitchen all as one take. And the way that they got the camera through without moving it or without feeling uh, cutting was they, they designed sets that would split apart and then come back together mechanically. <laughs> so they would split, have the camera pass through them and then come back together. Like 
That's just insane. Can you imagine that? At <laughs> All that for time, this you're like, shot. Hey, I want to do this. Yeah, it's never been done. And like, but this is how I want it to happen. They're like, okay, let's make a set that splits apart so we can move <laughs> a camera through. Yeah. And then uh, like another shot, they go through like the roof of this building and it's like they, she like looks up at this light or it's like a, like a, a seal. Uh, what's it called? A window skylight. in the ceiling skylight and it goes in the camera goes through that and then outside like it's there's just tons of things like that like technically it's amazing and then you get into the just the writing of it and yeah it's just the writing the story is amazing like it is this story of you could you could look at it from the real life aspect of um the story of uh harry what's his name anyway <laughs> uh the business tycoon who actually was a newspaper magnet and you could look at it as his life story, but also look at it in just the sense that like this guy has these ideals, right? He goes into this business with these ideals and he wants to stick to them. And then over time, money and power corrupt him and just change who he is. And he, it does it without him even knowing, right? He still thinks he's this idealistic man, but really he is not anymore. And, it just shows that transformation and that arc and yeah, everything just how it's told is done in such an interesting way. Like I said, with the interviewing and the flashbacks and these reporters going from these, these important people in his life, trying to figure out who he is and then really ending up with, with nothing, basically saying that this one thing can't define a man. It's, it's a lot of different things. And there's a lot of different layers to it. It's it was just amazing and I I don't think it's any kind of, you know, overhype or classitosis or anything. It's something that when you watch it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking so, about and like this is a movie that's notorious for being shown in like every kind of film school or anything people are in film, right? This is always shown, right? I didn't, right. never took any of those classes, but I even I know that this is that film. That everybody just ha- is shown in school, so it's worth that. It's worth that hype. Like this is that film. Yeah, like I don't know about it being the greatest movie of all time because I haven't seen a ton of movies from pre even nineteen seventies. That's a yeah, huge blind spot for me, me that I want to, you know, get around to. But obviously, crossing this one off the list is just one step. I mean with it being so highly regarded again i don't know if it's the greatest movie of all time but it is on a lot of lists as one of the great best american movies and i would definitely say that yeah so yeah i I think you guys i I think everybody knows uh yeah i will definitely watch this is like you said (laughs) you have to check uh, like you have to check that movie off right yeah it's the movie that you have to check off yeah it's just it's you know, when you go into something like almost with too high of expectations and then it disappoints, it's just, it's nice to see it not do that. Cause that's what I was kind of worried about. Yeah. That's what I was always um, worried about because it's always shown. It's always talked about. Like there's a lot of books we had to read in school that aren't as good as like they, I mean, like you, there's these books or whatever that are, you read in every, you know, school but they're mm-hmm. not necessarily live up to the hype that they're given. 
Right. So right. that happens a lot. And then you have something like this that has to live up to that. And it does. Is what you're saying. I think so. Yes. I for sure think so. You guys uh, got to check it out. I definitely will. Uh, okay. I guess that brings us to a close then. Um, we need to figure out what we're going to do next week. Yeah. Um, there is a few options. I know I mentioned it last week. It's kind of a big movie. I mean, it's definitely in the top 10 and it's a Ron Howard movie. I've, yeah, I, it's very (laughs) getting terrible reviews. So I was saying about, obviously that deters you from wanting to watch it, but also it's, you know, it is a big movie. So we kind of feel like I have to watch it or should watch it. Um, if you want to pair it with something else that maybe is going to be good, we could try to do that. But any other suggestions? I know there's one of the most popular movies on, I think, Letterboxd is Black Bear. That just came out yeah, so uh, this week. Josh and I were talking reviews. about that one. I added it to the watch list, so I say why not? Oh, okay. That one. Yeah, it's getting pretty good reviews from what I saw, too. So, uh, Yeah, and then a a lighter on a lighter note... I don't know if it's going to be good. I think it's going to be pretty mediocre, but I love Vince Vaughn. Freaky? Him, freaky. Him, yeah, yeah, freaky. Him being in as terrible as the binge was and him being the best part of that, I was like, I actually want to watch. And this is not my type of movie. I actually want to watch Freaky now. <laughs> the, it's getting some pretty good reviews, though. Yeah, I'm just saying it's not my type of movie, so that's why I was like, yeah, poo-poo it. But uh, just the fact that Vince Vaughn is in it, you know, so what do you think? If uh, <laughs> I don't know, I mean, bear or we could do freaking black bear. I mean, yeah. If I mean, Hillbilly LG is not going to be good. I'll probably watch it just because it's yeah, it's Ron Howard. But we don't have to do it as a featured. If um, you know, like if Josh doesn't want to watch it or something, then I don't give a shit. I okay. Since <laughs> neither you care. I say black bear and freaky. All right, that's yeah, that's totally that, fine. I mean, I know those for sure. Yeah, that's what, okay. So that's that's what I'm saying. Is that's fine. And if I get in, if I get in all my twenty, if there's, I'm gonna make a list actually of what's my most anticipated uh, twenty twenty watches. If I have enough to cover it without without uh, without needing to force a hundred in, you know, I might not even watch it either. But I'm gonna make that list up tonight. Yeah, it's your I'm girl though. Amy Adams is list. in it, Josh. You have to watch it. Who? Amy, Amy Adams. Adams is in it. You have to that's watch your it. Your girl. No, that's your girl. No shot. Oh yeah. All right, I guess that decides it. Freaky and Black Bear for next week. So if you uh, want to send us any questions or comments, you can send us an email at sudsandcinemapodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram. That's at sudsandcinemapodcast. I am on Letterboxd and Untapped at the KG Project. I'm on both of those as jsal517. That's J-S-A-L-517. I'm on both platforms at Josh underscore Saldana. All right, thanks for listening. Cheers, guys. You always find me. You say, come on. On the train today. You call my name. Scream, but I can't hear anything. 
Something to say. Come on. 